guaranteed to be more of a disappointment than Star Wars The Force Awakens. We're back! Hey! Yes. That's a very low bar to be more disappointing than, because that was a great movie. I, I promised we wouldn't talk about Star Wars on this show. Oh, oh. King, spoilers! Uh, no, Spoiler, there's robots in it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and Luke Skywalker dies at the end. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, as I was saying, the internet uh, has just exploded. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to for what's been a long time coming, the twenty fifth silver anniversary edition of Motorsport One Hundred and One. And I know you guys have been dying for me to start this up again, and I do actually have a legitimate excuse as to why we haven't had a show in about three months. <laughs> the Hamilton hype train has spiraled out of control. <laughs> it has. The world was calling upon you via Twitter and Ask.fm. Dre, when would you save us from the Hamilton Verstappen hype train? <laughs> so I, I, Dre I, came flying out of the shadows like a sort of avenging Batman <laughs> to rain down, I don't know. At, at this point, I'm quite frankly the Tony Stark of the F1 community. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Self appointed. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You, t- you don't talk to introduce you, damn it. But in, in the meantime, yeah, I'm going to explain quickly why we have not been on the show. Simply put, website problems. And yeah, uploading great big podcast files to WordPress probably isn't the best idea to run a smooth website. And basically, me and my website designer, Steph, from uh, Silvercode, check them out, by the way, Silvercode, 10% off if you've actually mentioned my name in there. So yeah, t- give, give Steph a call. She's fantastic when it comes to this sort of thing. But, yeah, <laughs> shameless plug. Um, but uh, yeah, basically, we had to bang our heads together a lot to figure out a way around it. We've now found a way around it via Internet Archive and streaming and things like that. So now, instead of downloading all these podcasts, they're going to be streamed instead. So the site, the site actually runs a hell of a lot smoother. It took us a long time to figure that one out and clean everything. There was a fair few broken links as well. So that, that was a bit of a pain in the butthole. But we've now actually managed to solve all of that. So yeah, we're now back properly. Um, I'm not sure whether we're going to be back full-time or not yet, because I don't think there's enough real skin on the bone to be able to do that throughout the off-season, because, hell, there's not much going on now until February, at least. So, whether, whether we have... You could do what the F1 community does and just make stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I have integrity, Johnson. Like, 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 come on, you thought you expected better of me than this. But, uh, mostly. <laughs> mostly. But, uh, yeah, on the whole... We're back, and that's the most important thing. And I'm very glad. I'm very, very glad to be back. And uh, we've got some good news coming about the podcast as well, which I'm sure you guys will, will greatly enjoy. First of all, let me introduce my cohorts in crime here. Um, first up, he, he is still emotionally distraught from the retirement of Abby Wambach, but Mr. Ryan King is here, everybody. <laughs> yes, I, I've I've making time out of you know curling up in a ball to to be here today. <laughs> You don't know, he's been spending the last 24 hours rocking back and forth in the corner of his bedroom to himself, saying, can't sleep, Wambach will eat me. Uh, <laughs> he spent 30 minutes composing an emotional farewell tweet to her, then realised she deleted her Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that is most likely true. Uh, that, like, how, how much of that is actually true, King? Uh, half of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's still more than I was expecting, so I'll, 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 I will take that. And also... Even better news. This show's that actually got a producer. We're next level and shit. Uh, like, how, cool, how cool is that? And we've actually now got a permanent third presenter. And I'm very, very delighted to Who's announce. He then? <laughs> 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 if he doesn't talk about my bloody intro, uh, 
He is the host of Bomber Sports UK on YouTube, a member of Downforce Radio, the, the host of Downforce USA on there as well. He misses Mr. Adam Johnson. Hello, sir. Yes, bring the noise, etc., and all that stuff. <laughs> bring I'm the noise. Looking forward to this. I've been on. Have I actually been on a Harrison 101 podcast yet? That you have seen you, the light of day. You have, but the thing is, the one time we got you on, the episode didn't make it in because our Skype recorder didn't work. It got to the end of about two hours of complete nonsense. Yes. And then we were all like, yeah, that was a great show. And then Dre was like, um, guys. It, it, it didn't record. Um, <laughs> the show doesn't exist. <laughs> you have no idea how dejected I was after that one. I was like, that was one of our best ever podcasts. And it got completely lost in the shuffle. So thankfully, that's that was the one our... where you solved the meaning of life. I know. <laughs> I know, it will it, never come up now. So I hope and revealed the world's greatest secret about Lewis Hamilton. I know, it's like, you'll never know now. The world will have to will have to wait for the answer on that one now. And hopefully, people will no longer ask me on Ask FM whether Kraken will ever come back on the show. Oh, <laughs> the, answer is, the answer is no. <laughs> like, sorry, Crex. Sorry, sorry Crex. You know I love you, man, but no. <laughs> like, I like the new girl you've started hanging out with, and I don't know who this Kraken is, and he's sitting <laughs> next to the <laughs> Yeah, like, we, we don't talk about him around here. You're going to awkwardly bump into him in the mall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, who's this guy? Oh, that's Kraken. We're being so unprofessional right now, but I don't care. But um, basically, no. Johnson is coming in. He's our third host, and he is now also producing the show for us, which is fantastic. It's a great weight off my mind as well. So I'm really looking forward to ha- and seeing how that develops in the future. Hopefully you won't make any bad jokes to get him kicked off the show permanently. <laughs> well, No guarantees. <laughs> great uh, so if you'd like a job on the Motorsport 101 podcast please send a message to Andre Harrison ah, no I'm joking um, but okay so now we're back properly and we've got the introductions out of the way it's going to be a quite stacked show it's a little bit of a catch up after what's been going on the last uh, what three months since we last were on here we'll be talking about Lewis Hamilton surprise um, and we'll be talking about Everything to do with him, the media circle jerk, the fact he's a triple world champion, his US media round tour, end of season talk, and all that good stuff. Well, not really good stuff, but... Would you see what I was saying earlier about even in the F1 off-season, people will find stuff to talk about? Yeah, it's like, biggest headline story, Lewis Hampton doesn't talk to anybody. This is news. (laughs) Like, really? And uh, so, they were talking about that. But on the other side of the Mercedes garage, Nico Rosberg's actually been really good too. He's finished the year with with three consecutive wins. The first time Nico Rosberg has ever won three on the bounce. Um, And we're talking about that too and why we have to belittle every Nico Rosberg victory at every given opportunity because of Lewis Hamilton. Yay! We'll be talking about the hype train around Max Verstappen and I'll be ranting about Jenny Gow's KOF1, which was a really great idea on, on, on paper. But still, and then the fanboys turned up. Then the fanboys turned up. And it looks like Max Verstappen is about to actually beat Lewis Hamilton, which just makes my eyeballs explode. Because even the most popular man in F1 couldn't stand up to the Max Verstappen hype train. So who's How is that possible? When we get to that segment, it's going to be like that bit in Reservoir Dogs where all of us are pointing guns at each other. Like, hang on, if I shoot you first, then you shoot me, and then you turn the gun on yourself, it'll be fine. <laughs> and the winner is nobody. <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the tyranny of the mob, also known as democracy. <laughs> democracy, everyone. Like alien versus predator all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny Gow's poll. We Whoever, all lose. Whoever oh, wins, we lose. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about Rossi versus Marquez and all that <laughs> drama that basically dominated what was arguably the, already the best MotoGP season of all time, as it was. 
And yet we had to end the year with Valentino Rossi, reminding the world he is Valentino Rossi, but not for the reasons you'd expect. Um, we'll be given one last final Susie Wolf update from Mr. Ryan King. And we'll be attacking the Q&A where we'll be talking about Jaguar in Formula E and Connor Daly finally getting an IndyCar drive. Yeah! Hallelujah! Woo! Woo! All right. So all that and... and we'll just become American for a second and start whooping. Yes! <laughs> Yeah. Look, I already basically live on American time. It, it, it just makes sense as it is, quite frankly. Yeah. So all that and a hell of a lot more on Motorsport 101. And I'm just so glad to be back. Thank God. Oh, yeah. uh, but um, okay. <clears throat> Lewis Hamilton, everybody. Oh, yeah. Joy. yeah like, it, it, <laughs> like, we're all so excited to talk about this. Right, well, uh, it's been nice being on the show. So uh, I'll see you later, guys. <laughs> guys, we need a producer again. <laughs> but... Uh, Lost amongst the shuffle was the fact that, that he is actually now a triple world champion. And, you know, obviously, getting the serious stuff out of the way, congratulations to him. He was magnificent this season. There's no arguing that at all. Um, the only driver now in F1 history to have back-to-back 10-win seasons, which is insane in its own right. Um, he crowned it, the coronation on the crown, in his home Grand Prix at Austin, of course. Um, <laughs> in, you know, in, in front of, in front of 50,000 of his, of, his, of, his, of his peeps. Um, quite frankly, um, when what was it was arguably the race of the decade, quite frankly, because Kota was frigging insane as a race as it is, a race that really shouldn't have happened. Well, the, the, the funny thing was, I knew a, a friend of mine or a colleague of mine who was out there for the race, yeah. and she spent three days moaning about how crap the weather was, and then by the end of Sunday, she was like, "Well, at least the race was all right." <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> That race had everything. After you've nearly drowned for three days, then I guess that sort of race was the minimum you'd need to make up for it. I need I need a 10 out of 10 race and a free blow job to make this weekend worthwhile. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, like, that's the only way this weekend is making up for everything, but it, it was a magnificent Grand Prix. Hamilton... Well, they got the race. Yeah, they got, they got the race part down, and like, you know, Kota went crazy. We all went crazy on the internet, and that was about as great a race as you could ever imagine, especially out of a track that we all love to hate, which is Kota, because it's designed by Tilka. <laughs> um, well, to be honest, um, yeah, number one, it's a Tilka track that's actually good. It's up there with it's Turkey. <laughs> it is a great track. And number two, I was... It was going up against the NASCAR Sprint Cup race at Talladega. Oh, so yeah. not just any ordinary Sprint Cup race. It was Tala friggin' Daiga. The so, Sprint Cup race. <laughs> yes, exactly. So up against that sort of opponent, it needed to be a 10 out of 10 race, and it actually was. Well, a lovely surprise. But, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton ends up being world champion. Then he ends up being thoroughly mediocre for the final four rounds, pretty much. Well, three rounds, actually, after that one. But it's yeah, He threw his talent away when he threw that hat at Rosberg. <laughs> so, we, we now know the source of Lewis Hamilton's godly powers. It wasn't his blonde hair, but it was close. <laughs> it was close. And it's a shame that you know one of the races of the decade was quickly overshadowed by Lewis Hamilton throwing a cap at him for no good reason. But hey, that's the F1 world for you. Yep. <laughs> the least surprising thing ever. So the season's come to an end. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton kind of dictated the press in a different way in a sense of he was talking about how it was impossible to follow somebody in Brazil because I was waiting for people to get mad about this because Brazil isn't actually that great a track when it's dry. I don't think people have realized this yet. <laughs> like, I think it's one of those old school tracks which is hmm. really great fun to drive and it's a great layout but actually for modern F1 it's not so great but then again most tracks aren't very good for modern F1 because you need the cars to be about yeah. five miles apart not to be affected by dirty air. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. And 
Yeah, I mean, King, get in this. Like, what did you make of the end of the season? Because it, it quickly became a, a big, like, deal of sour grapes once the season came to an end because of the fact that Hamilton wasn't able to put a move on Rosberg. <laughs> yeah, it, it quickly became the story of why Lewis is finishing behind Rosberg, not why Rosberg is actually doing well. <laughs> and people are like, oh, Lewis is not trying. He's given up since he's clinched the title when it's like... Maybe it's not as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, maybe Rosberg is, has always been good for five wins a season, and, you know, he is capable of beating Hamilton straight up on any given weekend if Rosberg gets it right. Which, which again, it's like, I said this on Ask FM earlier today. Nico Rosberg has won 14 Grand Prix in his, in his last four seasons. If this was anybody else, we'd be penciling him as an elite top five level driver. But yeah. because it's Nico Rosberg and because we're comparing him to Lewis Hamilton, who at this point is one of the greatest ever, we, we, we take any opportunity to, to belittle Rosberg because he's not as good as one of the greats. I mean, well, it's a bit like, um, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you because I am a man child. I've been mm. binging on a bit of a nostalgia trip of the last few days and watching old episodes of Robot Wars because ah. why wouldn't you? Mm. And course. to me, like, uh, Nico Rosberg is kind of like, I don't know, the firestorm. Oh yeah, F1. really, really good robot, <laughs> and then a Chaos Two or a Razor will turn up, yeah. and yeah, forget about it, Firestorm. You're not very good. Like, like it's never the Firestorm wasn't that good. It was just it was only a little bit behind some of the greatest fighting robots that ever exactly, took part yeah. on Lewis the Hamilton show. is the Razor of our time, complete <laughs> with the split fan base, the split fan base, <laughs> and the slightly damaged wheels every once in a while. Um, but uh, yeah, that's simply what it was, and like. The circle jerk around Hamilton has now gotten so big that he dictates. Like he goes outside and even breathes, it will be picked up upon these days. And what didn't help was last week he was on a media tour of the states, and he was on James Corden's Late Show. He was on the Jimmy. Was it? It was. It was, it was Kimmel, wasn't it? He was on. Yeah, was it, yeah, it was Kimmel. Yeah, yeah like he was on both those shows, two LA talk shows, two days in a row. <laughs> like he was, he was on the Inferior Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> People still watch Kimmel, fucking hell. Uh, but uh, he was he was on Kimmel. He did some he did some LA talk shows. He and uh, you know what I found amazing about this was that all the British media got really salty about this because because he didn't go to the Autosport Awards, which he he won International Driver of the Year for. Um, was, was it International Driver? Or was it British Driver of the Year? Something I think it was one of the two. Well, something like that. Um, but. Who cares? It's autosport. Um, basically, he won some award at the autosport awards, and then some of the other British media types got really salty and bitchy about this whole thing. Like Chris Harris was one of them. Toby Moody was another one. And you know what? I don't even like this in Moody because he's basically motorcycle broadcasting god, quite frankly. And I was annoyed that even he got mad about this. And then Martin Brundle was another one, and Tiff Nadell was another one. And, like people were saying, like, oh. They're acting like Lewis Hamilton owes the British media something, and it's really annoying when people are acting like this, like this really, like you know, uppity, I'm well, better than you kind of attitude. Yeah, you know what? It kind of reminds me. I think it, it must be a British thing because mm. uh, it's nothing new in that respect. Because uh, I'm a big fan of the Clash. I'm I'm the sort of person who loves bands that mostly were dead before I even got to see them live. Of course, um, <laughs> my favourite bands are Queen and the Clash. So at well. least I got to see most of Queen. Um, but uh, with The Clash, when they started to conquer America in, the, in 1980 or so, the British media was exactly the same. They literally mm. just crapped all over them. And then I remember reading a, uh, a copy of NME a few years back, 
where they were like, oh, of course, we loved London Calling at the time. And I was like, um, excuse me, you crapped all over that album because it sounded a bit American. Don't mm-hmm. pull that shit on me, thank you. Yeah, it definitely doesn't help that we Brits have always had kind very of a parochial. Ter- yeah, very parochial, very turn our noses up at the Americans kind of moniker for the better part of a hundred years now. Oh, yeah, uh, as, someone, and- as a British guy who likes American stuff, I am yeah. Yeah, this this goes for me too as an enormous NFL fan and basically part time American at this point. <laughs> Like I'm, st- I'm still waiting for my friend to come over from America so I can pick up, a- pick up my Joseph Newgarden T-shirt. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> wow. that, that, that should tell you all you need to know right there, quite frankly. But I'm just going to ignore the shelf of NASCAR diecast sat next to my <laughs> desk right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that doesn't help either. But uh, I mean, King, it's find it even more amazing when you consider that the Americans really don't give a shit about Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, like for the most part, he was just another talk show guest. Yeah, and you know the funny thing is, is like. This isn't even the first time a British F1 driver's even gone to America. Remember, Sebastian Vell was on Letterman, about, I think, two years ago. Like, yeah. But he, he was on Letterman after, 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 after I think, he won, after he won his third title. He was on Letterman. And that was great for Letterman because he's a huge racing fan. He's a big racing nut. And he's often, you know, he sponsors, he sponsors Graham Rahal's team, Rahal, La, La, Rahal Letterman, Lanigan Racing. So, you know, it was great for him. Nobody else knew who he was. <laughs> no, yeah, it, was, it was the same thing with Corden Hamilton. Like, the only like the only reason like the only reason why it seemed like Hamilton was there is because James Corden is friends with him. Like everyone was more interested in the other guest that night, uh, Chris Hardwick. Oh well, like, yeah, well, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, kind of goes about saying, really, doesn't it? <laughs> it's Chris Hardwick. I mean, whew. well, wasn't uh, wasn't there another issue with Lewis Hamilton's U.S. tour? And not only did it bomb as much as Oasis's U.S. tour. Um, <laughs> But wasn't it in the same week as Carl Busch was doing his NASCAR champion media tour? Oh, yeah. Once again, yeah. we're trying to go up against NASCAR in America. Which didn't work because usually when NASCAR does talk shows, there's usually like, there's there's a bit of fanfare. <laughs> I, I know. Out. Yeah, they go all out. Like they usually have like, you know, mock races and things like that. <laughs> I know I know Stephen Colbert got a bit of slack because he he banged his wet, wedding ring against Kyle Busch's championship trophy. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. <laughs> oh man, I, I gotta find out on YouTube after the show ends. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, the Americans don't really give a shit about Hamilton, and we Brits give too much of a shit about Lewis Hamilton. So it's amazing how the paradox kind of came together in that regard. As Hamilton goes out on tour across the states, um, you know, ends up on Cord and ends up on on Kimmel. Yeah, you know, he was on sixty Minutes, which is a big deal over there in America. Well, maybe not as big as it used to be, but sixty Minutes is still a thing. And he ended up dropping his mixtape on there, King. Yeah, it's like, oh, if I had to compare 60 Minutes to a British show, I think the closest comparison, I think, is uh, Panorama on the on the BBC. Yeah, That's probably, yeah. like, the closest thing. Mm. You see, yeah, yeah, he was on, he was on the uh, American equivalent, and he pissed off the IndyCar community. <laughs> basically saying that F1 cars called a faster. Pippa Mano got really upset about that, and I'm like, it's really not that big a deal, and if you put them on the same track, the F1 car would actually win, so... Well, it's yeah. like I've been telling for people all year because in motorsport, for some inexplicable reason, it's very cool to like one series and then by default bash another. Yes. Now, obviously, you know I've been loving IndyCar this year and I've been a little bit cool on F1, mm. but have I used IndyCar as a stick to beat F1 with? No, because they're very different things. What I've said to people is if you 
want more overtaking from your F1 and you want more personality, go and watch IndyCar. Exactly. And vice versa. If you want more speed and tech and bitchiness from your IndyCar, <laughs> go watch F1. There you go. Yeah. It's like the same people who are like, oh, I don't like F1 anymore. I'm going to go watch WEC because it's so much better. Ooh. Oh, God. I, I call, like, I've got a Frank Crecken for this quote, but he called the WEC the tumbler of motorsport, and I think he's very much on the money. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yes, he, he, I think he's pretty much on the money on that quote. But uh, I got no, I got no beef with the WEC at all. It's no, just, no, no, no. I think the problem I have is that the plastic fans often will root for the WEC purely as a stick to beat Formula One over the head of. Now I'm guilty of the crime of using IndyCar to bash F1. I can't lie. <laughs> like I'm being honest, I am not. I am guilty of this crime. But IndyCar is so much better right now, so I don't really give a shit. It's so, so much more. It's. IndyCar, let's put it this way, IndyCar, you don't have to make up stories because there's it's enough fun. stuff happening on the track and there's enough stuff that the drivers are saying for real that they're just like, the stories just write themselves at this point. Yeah, I, yeah. I, like, we almost had Air Carbon to take a swing at the young boy. I mean, what more do you need to say? <laughs> oh, I my mean... goodness. I mean, you, it's, it's got the sort of mad levels. Well, NASCAR is just in a whole different league at this point. It's more sports entertainment than the WWE yes. itself, <laughs> um, yeah. which is just magnificent in some ways and tragic in others. But mm. the, I keep saying to people as well, had Haas F1, and we're going to get into Haas F1 in a bit, had Haas F1 hired Connor Daly and James Hinchcliffe for next year, Kimi Raikkonen is never winning any most popular driver in F1 poll ever <laughs> oh, again. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, we mentioned this before we went on the air, but we uh, I've always found it really strangely captivating that, you know, again, we mentioned this on the Corden show, they brought up pictures of Hamilton from 2007 when he first debuted, and how Hamilton was this clean-cut, very fan-friendly, very stoic, no-real-personality kind of guy, and we all and we all loved him back then. And now he's got an actual. Actually, he actually does have some charisma to him, and he does have some personality to him. That's undeniable. And he's trying to establish himself as a brand now. And it's like we all hate him now. Well, at least he's got a lot of people that he's. He's certainly a lot more polarizing than what he was eight years ago yeah. or so. So that, that's definitely funny how that's changed. Whereas on the other side of the scale. The, the guy that was most popular in the GPDA survey was Kimi Raikkonen, the guy that shot the cameraman, has, has not been a very nice guy. He's driven like a bit of an idiot in the second half of the season and has no personality to him whatsoever. Yet we all love Kimi Raikkonen. Like, like this doesn't, this would, one this would never work. Three years ago. <laughs> yeah, like, like <laughs> and it's one, still on t-shirts worldwide. Yeah, it's like, I find it amazing that like in F1, like having no personality is actually better than actually having one because mm. F1 has got such an old school mentality and it's such an old man's game, I think, when it comes to oh, fans yeah. and fan bases and it comes to reactions and let things like this, that. Let yeah. me put it this way, Dre. Well, I've mm. got two things. Firstly, uh, you'll know where I'm getting at with this. Can you imagine Kimi Raikkonen taking a swing at a critic on Twitter after a race? Never. Not in a million no. years. No, not at all. <laughs> that would be very amusing to see. It would probably be like a one-word answer, like, I don't know, just no. <laughs> it would like, hey, just be, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, exactly. And uh, second thing, uh, just on an aside, you know, we were just talking about WEC. Uh-huh. I have just posted uh, up a little thing about on my social media channels, Adam underscore Bomber Sports, by the way. Mm. Um, I need to practice my plugs a bit more. Don't yeah, slip it uh, right um, in. Mm. Would you like to know who's just liked the post? Go on. Fernando Reese. 
Oh, everybody's Factory favorite. Aston Martin racing driver in the WEC. <laughs> so if you're listening, Fernando, hi. <laughs> he probably is, because he's one of those guys who just randomly favorites things, like Daniel App does. <laughs> we do genuinely like WEC, Fernando. <laughs> like, trust me, we're not bashing your sport, brother, I promise. But, um, it's yeah, just those absolutely... fans who have crossed over, and uh, they're like bitter exes to F1 now. They're like, oh, yeah. look at WEC. She's so much prettier and hotter than you, and she's better <laughs> in bed as well. <laughs> Why is that? Like, Dude, I feel, lay I feel, off. I feel like I'm speaking from experience here. Like, he, like he, he, he broke that out really quickly. <laughs> uh, you know, secondary school, yeah. it's a testosterone-laden environment. This is true. This is this is definitely true. But yeah, like I said before, it's it's amazing how when it comes to F1, we've now gotten so snooty about the whole thing that actually having a charisma is actually going against you. It's like the young guys will love you for it. The old guys will hate you for it. Like we like, I'm, again, I'm telling you now, two years from now, we're all going to turn on Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, like yeah. King, oh, like King yeah. already hates him. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting in early. I, I his fans. I, I like. I don't want to say the quote on air again, but you know, people, longtime listeners of the show, know what was said. Yeah, longtime listeners know exactly what I was saying. It, it, it involved a certain appendage. Um, it involved a certain part of Ricardo's body. Um, I, I'll give you a hint: it wasn't his chin. Um, no, I didn't think so. But the no, funny but... thing is, though, it's funny we're talking about how certain drivers get turned on. Now Lewis Hamilton's getting turned on. This is such a. Na- I don't know why people are surprised at this at this point because it's such no. a natural thing in motorsport. The fact mm. is, no one likes their heroes being beaten. And That's nobody, it. And it's and no, easier to hate uh, that person rather than admit that that guy's got the better of your hero. And nothing demonstrated this better, and I couldn't believe people couldn't see the double standard here, than the NASCAR race at Martinsville. Jeff Gordon won it. <laughs> obviously, massive media blood. Yeah, brilliant, feel-good story. But so many people were like, oh, 10, 15 years ago, he was being booed whenever he won a race, and now everyone loves him when in the same race they cheered when Joey Logano effectively got T-boned into a wall. Do you not see yeah. the double standard there? Yeah. Do you not see well, the fact that in 10 years, you're probably going to be cheering Joey Logano as well? Yeah. What's uh, booing someone else? Ryan Blaney or someone? Who knows? Yeah, like I mentioned this before, like it, it took us like 15 minutes to get Johnson's first NASCAR reference in, uh, which, which was great. Um, but second of all, isn't that Sebastian Vettel in a nutshell now? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, two years, like two years ago, 2015, was... the unexpected Sebastian Vettel babyface turn. Yeah, it's like 20, 2013, he was booed for 10-plus rounds because of the multi-21 and the fact that people have finally gotten bored of Vettel yep. winning everything. Because we don't like a winner either, as much as a guy that no. sees a hero get beaten. Nobody likes a winner either. So that's one thing. And then two years later, Ferrari is now getting cheered as the great hope to beat Mercedes because they've had the most dominant car since probably, what, the 2004 Ferrari, I would say? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But, yeah, it was roughly, like Vettel but... last year was like Triple H and uh, Ricardo was like Daniel Bryan. Yeah, pretty much. And now this year, Vettel's like like Triple H. Oh, well, he's done great stuff on NXT. Joy. Um, and Ricardo's Vettel. like Daniel Bryan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's like, everyone's like, oh, Sebastian Vettel has changed completely. I'm like, no, he's completely the same guy. He just spent like an entire year away from any podium press conferences. Yeah, it's like, you just forgot. Like one, you guys forgot. Two, he's always been this funny. Three, when he's winning, you don't give him the benefit of the doubt that you would do if he was the guy trying to stop Mercedes. Yeah. Where you're gonna look for something to like a little bit more because he could be the guy to beat them because he was the only guy to beat Mercedes on merit this year. So naturally, people are gonna go a bit crazy about things like that. So yeah, it's a shame that Lewis Hamilton has become this polarizing figure, but. 
some of his fans need to, need to, just need to shut up as well. But that doesn't that, that's that's a discussion for another day. Sometimes you don't no, no, I I do have to mention that because mm. his defenders did come out in full force when he went to America. <laughs> like, oh, of course he wouldn't want to go to the Auto Sport Awards. He had dinner with the president, even though that's a vast like that's a vast like abstraction of what had actually happened. You really think Hamilton was having dinner with the president? Like, people actually <laughs> believed that? <laughs> wow. Uh, but on the other side of the coin on the Mercedes garage, Nico Rosberg, he's now won three Grand Prix in a row. And, you know, it's funny when you think about it. If it wasn't for the broken throttle at Russia and the gust of wind in America, and I, put, and I use that in inverted commas, <laughs> the gust of wind at Kota, Rosberg would have won the last five Grand Prix. Like yeah. that that that's that's crazy in, in the sense that, you know, we like in the midst of Hamilton winning this championship, Nico Rosberg's had his greatest run of form since he got to Mercedes. And that's something that's been, I think, very much overlooked. And I think part of that is because of the Hamilton fan base crying foul of what's gone on on track strategy wise between the two. And I think part of that is because again, we like to belittle Nico Rosberg. I think any given opportunity where Nico Rosberg actually has a really good day at the office we all can't wait to take the, take the piss out of him because mm. he's not as good as Lewis and it's unfortunate that that's now become a thing but I mean King your boy's on fire right now <laughs> yeah but I mean uh, he's been hard on himself like mm. uh, very hard on himself like, recently he told the press that this year he said this year was a 7.5 out of 10 year and I was like that's pretty harsh like it was definitely a lot better than that to be fair, that's the score I gave him in my season review, so I can't really talk. <laughs> well, that explains it. He was he read your season review. He was like, yeah, actually, that's, he's pretty spot on. Yeah, I, 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 in, my, in my review, which you can read at Harrison101.com, I, I gave Rosberg a 7.5 out of 10 score because I realized this was Rosberg's best ever season in F1. People people have forgotten this. Like, he had he finished, he had six wins and ten second places this season. Mm. Like in any other context, that's a brilliant season. But because Lewis Hamilton won ten and had the season wrapped up three rounds early because of mostly the Monza retirement and again the Russia retirement kind of sealed the deal. Really, um, again, even so, even when Hamilton did have the his one mechanical failure for the year at Singapore, Rosberg was fourth that day because because Merckx just mysteriously shit that weekend. So. Like when the season was wrapped up that quickly, I think we've all forgotten the fact that you know Rosberg is actually really, really good too. And I've, I've said this before. I said this today on Ask FM. Actually, I said Rosberg won fourteen Grand Prix in just four seasons. Like the last four seasons, he's won fourteen Grand Prix. And this was any other guy, mm. we'd be penciling him in as an elite top three or four driver in the world, like we did with Daniel Ricciardo last year. Yeah. Like we all thought Ricciardo was the truth this season. After that, yeah. that twenty fourteen season, you know, we thought he was going to be the charismatic savior for F one. What happened this year? Beaten by Kvyat. Mm. Yeah. Uh, like Nico Rosberg is two wins away from being the Grand Prix driver with the most wins and not have a world championship. He's two wins away from Sterling Moss, and he will get those two wins next year. I'm almost dead certain. Oh on. yeah, yeah. Like like he he will overtake Sterling as the great as the most winningest driver without a world title as the Mark Martin of F one, <laughs> <laughs> but he will be completely pissed on because he doesn't have Lewis Hamilton's what forty three wins to his career. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, right? Like the way I'm looking at it is how much closer are Hamilton and Rosberg than other times you've had one dominant team with mm. two teammates like that. They're certainly closer together than Schumacher and Barrichello. Absolutely. Way, way closer. 
I think closer together on talent than Weber and Vettel. I'm yes. sorry. I know it's not cool to beef on Weber's thing, but although I'm Agreed. stoked that he got a world championship this year in uh, over with Porsche in WEC. That's Hipster. cool. He deserves one. Um, <laughs> well, you know. Um, but even so, I think, you know, it's, as you quite rightly say, the wind blows a different way, a hat does not get thrown, uh, an engine doesn't blow up we're telling a different story but because we're mostly from a british media perspective hamilton's the good guy rosberg's the heel that's the narrative hamilton's the most talented natural natural talent in inverted commas i never like that as a as a tent as a sense yeah does anyone get like born with just like by age three they're already winning on their brother's xbox on any racing game they play like they're just born to be a superstar <laughs> no i'm sorry uh-huh. like just, like uh, here in the states people kind of refrain from saying naturally gifted because it has other connotations related to race. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But... He, he, his king's showing his deceptive speed. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's, he's sneaky fast. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's sneaky fast. Like, like, you would, like, you would never guess Rob Gronkowski's a physical monster or anything now, would you? Why? <laughs> why? Because he's white. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> But, but nobody ever wants to flat out say that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, about natural gifters and whatnot. But yeah, you know, let, let's be real. Hamilton was the page turner because of how he debuted. At that point in time, a 22 year old debuting with a top tier team was unheard of, quite frankly. Mm. So I can see why people made that narrative about Hamilton. But well, he's he's been a demon for his entire career, and he's been also very fortunate to have had nothing but race winning cars his entire career as well. Yeah. He's never had to climb the ladder like a Jensen Button did, or you know like a Sebastian Vettel did as well for a little while. And, Which is weird know. in itself. Sorry to interrupt. Mm. There. It's kind of weird how the narrative has changed because when he first turned up in F1, everyone sort of resented him for getting that top tier drive. Almost title. Like, he yeah. didn't. He didn't do like an Alonso and have to go through the Minardi training camp, if you will, because Minardi used to be the hey, that's where all the future world champions start. You go mm-hmm. Minardi or like a Jordan or Toro Rosso, you, you, you pay your dues. Yeah. You, you do a few seasons finishing 16th every race because that's how good a Minardi was, unless you're in the US in which you finish top five mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because only six cars started. Yeah. Um, but, but I think a lot of people resented him for that. And now it's weird that the narrative has changed. It's almost like Lewis Hamilton's now the sort of start from the bottom, now we're here kind of guy. And Rosberg's mm. the guy who's always been giving stuff on a plate, which is weird. It makes no sense yeah, to me. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. It oh, really okay. is. Like, because, you know, Nico Rosberg, what, he was at Williams before Mercedes, and he, he got it Mercedes to the ground fo- floor because he was German and more notable than Hulkenberg at the time. Yeah, people forget that Rosberg did have a pretty darn good 2009 season. Like, people forget that. Like, he was pretty darn good for Williams in the last year he was there before going to Merckx in 2010. Like, <laughs> and this was the guy who beat Schumacher flat out in the first few years at Mercedes. 3-0 against yeah. Michael Schumacher, but people pissed on him for that too because Michael Schumacher was 44 years old by the time oh. he retired. Yeah. So, like, like I said, I wrote a really good column about this, if I do say so myself. And I was like, it's called The Shadows of Rosberg in the sense of if anything, Rosberg's been the unlucky one because he's always been in somebody else's shadow. Like, mm. he was in the shadow of his dad because obviously his, his dad was a world champion and he wanted a very few, if not maybe the only world champion to have won the title in a car that legitimately was not the best car uh, back in 1982. So, you yeah, know, he's already got his dad's name to go off of. He's already had to go through the adversity of Williams not being a very good team in the mid-2000s. 
Then he had to go to Mercedes and be in Michael Schumacher's shadow because he stole all the press because he came out of retirement, even though Schumacher was mediocre when he came back. Mm. And now he's had to go up against arguably the best driver since Schumacher, and he's come second fiddle. Like, that should be a surprise to anybody. Like... Hamilton is a beast. We've we forgotten this. Like, yeah. like <laughs> Hamilton is still yet to have a winless season. That's insane. <laughs> that is literally ridiculous. That is insane. Like Hamilton is going to go down as arguably the second most successful driver of all time by the time it's all said and done. More than likely, given how strong Merckx is at the moment, and Hamilton, like Hamilton, is probably going to be a top four or five driver of all time by the time mm. his career finishes. As will Sebastian Vettel. There's no doubt about that, in my opinion. Oh, if yeah. anything, if anything, yeah. Vettel's got even more potential because he's three years younger than Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> people, people forget that. People oh, yeah. forget well, that you too. get like you, you get sort of like two or three hall of famers if you will in any sort of given generation like in the 90s it was arguably schumacher hackenen i'm struggling to think of a third one damon hill then huh damon hill damon hill yes yeah thank you um before that you had obviously the holy trinity of mansell senna prost Mm -hmm. Uh, before then you had the likes of louder you had we're going back into king territory the further back we go (laughs) the more we're into king territory i was about to say hunt will be there but that'll be personal bias and i know dre doesn't agree with me on that one outs Out. And then, obviously, in the, the 60s and the 50s, you had your, your Mosses, Graham Hills, Jim Clarks. You had all the guys, you know, your um, Fangios, whatever. So, mm-hmm. right now, Hamilton, Vettel, there's two of your three all-time greats in one picture. Alonso, maybe a third, but that's, that star has waned in the last few years. But it's a thing you have to accept, and it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I posed this question to you a little while ago, Dre, and it seems especially pertinent now given that there's been recent mutterings about Mercedes, you know, telling their drivers to behave and stop bitching, otherwise we'll fire one of you, as unlikely as that seems. But Mm. I did ask you a little while ago, could Rosberg move elsewhere to become the number one driver and try and break out of Hamilton's shadow? Is he better staying at Mercedes and fighting fire with fire or going somewhere else and trying to beat him with someone else? Do you know what I mean? He's got to stay put. Like, 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 Mercs are just too fast for any other team to be a viable threat right now. Ferrari is the only viable alternative right now, and they're not going to go after Rosberg when Raikkonen leaves next year. Like I don't, I don't see Raikkonen getting anything beyond the end of his contract when that expires at the end of 2016. Yeah. Because Raikkonen will be 37 when that contract expires, wow. and I can't see the Ferrari sticking around for another year yeah. with him. Because if they want to go after the Constructors' title, they need two guys up there in the points. Because as much as people want to piss on Rosberg, he will guarantee you 310 points a season. Yeah. Raikkonen is not on that level anymore. And, and, you know, he's, like, Vettel, I have no doubt about. He, he will get you 300 points a year now, even in the second-best car. He, he, he scored 278 this year, which is insane for, for the second-best car in the field to score that highly. Raikkonen was outscored nearly 2-1 to one this year. Like, that's the problem he's got, because there's no other team in the vicinity that can challenge a Mercedes. So Rosberg's got to stick it out and hope, because the thing is, on paper, Rosberg can do this. I, I have no question that I think he can go on and win a world title, mm. because on any given weekend, if Rosberg gets it together, he can beat Hamilton. Absolutely. Um, and the problem is, is that Hamilton, when Hamilton wins, we all go crazy, say, oh, it was a class of the field, brilliant drive from Hamilton, you know, he, yep. he was perfect and flawless. If Rosberg does it, we look for a reason to dislike him for it because we look for an excuse. 
They looked for an excuse at Brazil. They they mentioned the dirty air argument. They mentioned the strategy argument. And I think the strategy argument is complete bullshit because of the reason of this is not a new thing. This has been going on for three years now. Like the second race of the new Mercedes team of Rosberg and Hamilton at Malaysia 2013. We all forgot about Multi 21, but there was a team orders scandal down at Mercedes too, where they where they told Rosberg to back off for Hamilton. That was the second race they were together as teammates. Oh my word! That was well, the second race. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I wonder. I'm a little bit curious to see if next year's F1 season um, turns out a little bit like V8 Supercars this year, mm-hmm. because similar to Hamilton and Rosberg, down in V8 Supercars recently, it's been Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes have largely been the class of the field. Mm-hmm. Lowndes is a geo is a goat contender most certainly. Sure. Wincup is this generation's Hamilton basically in V8 supercars equally as liked and disliked and equally as successful. He's literally won coming into this season. He was like four or five times back to back champion. The guy was just a a God of the series. No one could Mm -hmm. stop him no matter how hard Mark Winsbottom or his own teammate tried this year. However, the Fords have been far better and Winkup was out of the title contention with four or five races to go. He just Mm -hmm. was not at the races. So it was Lowndes who actually got the better of him. But Lowndes still didn't win the championship because this was the year Ford stepped up. So I'm wondering if you, for 2016 in Formula 1, substitute Ford for Ferrari, mm-hmm. and I Maybe. wonder if something similar happens. Well, they got the money for it, and, yeah. and, and King, I mean, isn't it kind of smug that we talked about this after Austria, and we talked about how Mercedes had this strategy of the leading car gets, gets first call on pit strategy, and I, I didn't yeah. I say that this was going to piss people off? And I, and I called it so beautifully back in June that, that you know, I, I said it. I said the quote, 80% of the time, the guy that leads into turn one will win the race. Yeah. And, I, and I did some maths on this. Like, there's been 38 races since the hybrids have, have come around. 32 times Mercedes have won. Out of the 32 times that has happened, do you know how many times the leading Merc has won the race through turn one? Ooh. Guess out of 32. Hmm. I, I want to say 25, maybe 27. Johnson? 30. King was spot on 27 times. Wow, even out so, of, that's huge. Out of, <laughs> out of 27 out of 32 times, the leading Mercs through turn one would go on to win the race, and people now are getting pissed off about this. And you know what? <laughs> this isn't new. I think sometimes uh, it pays to... Because I know a lot of Formula 1 fans, it's Formula 1 and that's it. There is no mm-hmm. other world of motorsport outside of it. But guess what? This isn't a new thing. Citroen over in the World Touring Cars have operated exactly the same policy. And they don't have pit stops in their races. Literally, start, fight for turn 1, and then whatever order you're in, you ain't battling each other. You ain't having each other off. Whatever order you made it through turn 1 in, unless, of course, you've got rival cars around you. When it's Citroen 1, 2, 3, 4, that's it. You ain't yeah. passing each other. It doesn't matter who's in front. I think this year they've been a little bit more flexible because in 2014 they were just focused on wrapping up every single title in sight. This year they've realised that even with everyone making big steps forward, they're still miles behind Citroen. In fact, it's it's kind of a weird synergy because World Touring Cars adopted new regulations in 2014, same year as F1, and Mm. Citroen have basically played the Mercedes role and absolutely wiped the floor with everyone uh, to the point that everyone is basically praying that Volvo vaguely makes it interesting next year. (laughs) Um, Just praying... Please, someone has to be able to stop the Citroens. But Familiar. again, same thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And the, uh, it's a team does not have a noble or divine right to entertain the fans. And, and they're there to win. 
they're, they're there to win, and Mercs are only doing this to protect the one-two. And I mentioned it before, how back in China, everybody called Nico Rosberg a crybaby for saying that Hamilton was going too slow when Rosberg's point was always right, because Hamilton driving slowly brought Sebastian Vettel into play for no reason whatsoever. And all it would have taken was maybe one bad Rosberg pit stop Vettel's out in front. He splits the Mercs, and they and the team has lost three points. And the one time, yeah. the, and the one time Mercs deviated from their strategy and gave Hamilton the option to pit, what happened? It was Monaco. <laughs> mm. uh, and what he didn't want to, he didn't even want to turn up to the podium. Yeah, yeah, he was a bit salty about the whole thing. Well, and maybe now, he, I guess, yeah, understandable. Don't get me wrong, because the thing is, it was I think it was more Hamilton was just pissed off with himself for making such a shitty call. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but at the same time. You know, it's, it's more than understandable that Mercs have a very, very good reason to be so conservative because oh, yeah. you know they, they're looking to protect the team one too, and you know it's a shame because they as do long as you crack have a team's under championship. Yeah. This is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to end up like Penske and IndyCar where you have all your guys fighting each other on track. Exactly. Oh <laughs> which, which, which is what we got in IndyCar this season on many occasions, like Montoya and Pagano at Long Beach, and obviously power on Montoya during the finale. Um, at Sonoma, but it's in those situations where a team does not have a divine right to entertain you guys. And I know Sky was saying, "Oh, well, they, like Sky made the argument that they were being unfair by being fair to Hamilton because of the situation in Brazil and because of the fact that you know Hamilton had no chance of the win if he played out behind him. Maybe he had a chance if they put him on the free stopper. Like you people do realize that ten seconds behind him was Sebastian Vettel, right? Like." Like, if, if that happened again, and Hamilton had finished in third again, how much more salty would he, would he have been on the podium yeah. than, than what he actually was when Martin Brundle was trying to dig him out for a reason as to, you know, why he couldn't beat Rosberg on the day like that was some kind of expectation? <laughs> well, this kind of reminds me of why uh, I always kind of laugh when people are surprised when proposals are put forward to the, whatever the F1 council is or whatever it is, um, and teams shoot it down or veto it. And people are like, oh, what killjoys, whatever, blah, like voting to deny a cheaper engine or whatever. Guess what? The teams are there to win. <laughs> They're not there to go, oh, well, we'll just let you give our opponents, you know, a helping hand when we've spent 20 bazillion pounds this year per minute to be the all-conquering dominant force. I'll tell you what, let's let you give our main rivals a leg up and help them beat us, shall we? Why? No, I don't think so. Very similar to what a Red Bull were like, oh, well, no one's giving us an engine. Well, that's what the only we can't. Yeah, exactly. Because if they yeah. did give you an engine, they'd beat you. Why would you do that? <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's, it's a complete nonsense situation. If anyone was complaining about that, I mean, just, just admit you're a Hamilton caper that wants to basically, you know, look for a reason that he doesn't, you know, maybe, just maybe, the guy that's won 14 Grand Prix in his career might be good enough to win from the front on his own. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's nonsense. I, I didn't like it at all, but that's just the nature of Formula 1. And because we've, we've, we've now reduced Nico Rosberg to the status of charity driver, like a Barrichello or Weber, who we all get behind to win to try and upset the apple cart but no one actually thinks he's going to win the title or anything yeah. so like, now we've reduced Rosberg to that status and we've all now got gotten on the hype train of oh will Hamilton be Vettel be the title fight for 2016 will Ferrari get, do enough to, to get up there and upset the apple cart because that's become the new narrative we've all just kicked Rosberg to the curb when he's good enough to do this Like he, I think he is good enough to win a world title quite frankly but it's just going to be a matter of can he put it all together every weekend because 
for example, Abu Dhabi, he was unbeatable that weekend. Oh, he was. He, he was stunning in Abu Dhabi. That, that pole lap was one of the best of the year. I was, I, I was on my feet applauding. When he set that pole up, me and King were on Skype during the whole thing, and we, we, we lost our minds. It was a brilliant yeah. match with Rosberg. We were like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> like, like you can see, Rosberg was fist bumping. He knew that was a good one as soon as he crossed the line. Like that, that was like the Sebastian Vettel Singapore pole up, which I still love. It's, it's in my favorites right now on YouTube for no particular reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like it, that, was, that was that was Rosberg's lap of the gods moment. It was his lap of the gods moment. In the same way that Vettel had his at Singapore, and he was fist pumping the moment he crossed the line because he knew that one was special. Like, so, like, if you're telling me Rosberg can't win the title, then I, I, I think I just think you're straight up wrong, quite frankly, because he's he's been a good match for Hamilton, a much better match than I think people were expecting him to be in the first place. Oh, yeah. Let let alone now. But uh, God, I've talked about Mercedes enough. Here's a quick musical break, and afterwards we'll be talking about oh God, it's Max Verstappen. Shit. <laughs>
But um, yeah, welcome back everybody for part two. And um, oh god, we've got to talk about Max Verstappen again, haven't yeah. we? We haven't done that enough in this community this year. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Like all aboard trust- the Max Verstappen hype train. Like trust me, oh. and refreshments will be served. <laughs> like people, people. Like let, let me get a disclaimer out of the way first. I don't like or dislike Max Verstappen. This is not an issue with Max himself. This is the issue I have with people going completely ballistic over him like he's God's gift to Formula 1 because he pulled two decent overtakes. Like, that's what we're talking about here. It's like people don't even realise that half of the fancy passes that Max made was when he was on the softer compound tyre. People don't even realise this. And or using DRS. <laughs> you know, everybody's, everybody's weapon we love to bash until we realise it's the reason we even have overtaken in this sport now. <laughs> and you know what's quite funny about it? Uh... Whenever people mention it online, they're like, oh, Max Verstappen ran the outside of Spa. I'm like, isn't Graham Rahal just sat at home like, bitch, please, I was doing that every race. Three <laughs> wide on a street circuit in the rain, then come back to me. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but I'm not that, using any card to bash everyone over the head. Sorry. No, totally, totally not. not but, um, we're mentioning Max, one, because people were begging me to put him in the Harry Awards list for Driver of the Year, and I'm like, really? I have to do this? <laughs> Like I'm I, like he's on the nomination list. I haven't unveiled the public thing yet. I'm probably going to chalk him off that list. Just don't tell anybody, otherwise the kids might get really upset with me. Um, it's, it's like it's like taking an ice cream away from a five year old kid. It's like you're no, like a kindergarten yeah. cop. I am yeah. the party pooper. <laughs> yeah, you said it. But um, it's like it's funny because Max, by any scale, did have a very good season. There's no disputing that for, for a second. It's like Max was excellent this year. There's no, there's no getting around that. He's, he was a good point stuffer. He, he scored points in eight of the last ten races. He, he was just outside the top ten overall. Like, for what it's worth, Max was very good king. But on the other side of the scale, I think people have, have gotten a little bit too excited about him, don't you think? Is King gone? <laughs> no, I'm here. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like I said, basically, I was, I was asking you if we almost vanished for a second there. I was like, I think we've, have we gotten a little bit too excited about Max Verstappen? Uh, yeah, pretty much. It's like, uh, Verstappen, yes, he's a good driver, but I think more people have been making the deal like, yes, he's been an above average driver, but people want to make the push to say he's a great driver because he's 17. Wait, he's 18. <laughs> Yeah, he's 18 years old, and because, I think because of his youth, and I think it's a natural thing in sports, we get excited over young talent. I think that's just oh, what yeah. we do. Like, like again, the reason why Mark Marquez has become the phenomenon he is is partly because MotoGP had to bend the rules to let him participate as a 20-year-old when he debuted. So, and obviously, going on to win the World Championship as a rookie was insane. So, naturally... We get excited over young guys in as well. Like in all sport, we get excited when young guys end up prospering. I mean, look at the NFL and all the hype about Odell Beckham Jr. right now, which is mostly justified, to be fair. Yeah. But at the same time, like in sports, we get excited over young people. It's just what we do. And at the same time, Max was very good. I'm not ready to call him great by any stretch of the imagination. because he just I got, doesn't I, have the body of work there yet to prove no. that he will be. Like I got a question I asked him this afternoon from a friend of mine that said, if you had to build a team for the next five years between Rosberg and Verstappen, would you who would you take? And I'm like, Rosberg, this isn't this isn't even a debate. <laughs> like, 
Rosberg is an elite driver. He's he has experience a, and he has a proven track record of success. Yeah, like he's been an elite driver for three years now. Like, why on earth would I ever take Verstappen over Rosberg? We'd have no idea how good Verstappen is going to be. That's like you can't just say potential as a justification to hire somebody. Like, as much as I'm a huge fan of Nico Hulkenberg, that's the reason why he's probably never had a top tier seat either. Because as much so as you don't remind me, you're killing me. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It's I'm like... the one Holgenberg fan left in the room. And it's just <laughs> at this point. To be honest, when he didn't get hired by Lotus and Pastor Maldonado got hired instead, yeah, I was just like, yeah. that's it. It's End it of the line. happening. And I think he's admitted it by going to Porsche this year and winning Le Mans and then turning up in the press conference with the trophy. He was like, yeah, I won something this year, but, you know, y'all won't hire me. So it's, I'm just going to stay like, with Force uh, India. He walked into the room with that trophy. He's like, "Eh, I won this. What are y'all about to do? <laughs> yeah, you guys want, don't want to put faith in me because I might not win championships. Yeah, about that. Yeah, it's like, ugh, like we mentioned before in the show about Hulkenberg missing out. But he's a prime example of one. But it's, it's, it's like the Verstappen. It's like we, like we mentioned this on, on Twitter last weekend about how when it comes to F1, the biggest phenomenon about F1 is hype. It, it, it yeah. always has been hype. It, it, it's the full three course dinner, like you said." where we all hope something amazing happens, where in F1, most of the time, if a race is a 6 out of 10 race, it's a pretty good day. Like, like F1 has never consistently been brilliant. I've, I've always said this. And I, I know people like Pamela Elizande has said this himself. He's been, he's been watching since like the 70s, and he was saying, well, look, the race has never been consistently brilliant. Like, the way it is in F1, like, a good race is a 6 out of 10 and that's kind of like the average quite frankly so Verstappen all he did really was put a couple of nice passes on people and was the benefit of a lot of attrition when he got those two fourth places at Hungary and Kota but everyone's penciling him in for Ferrari next year and I'm like we all forgot about Hulkenberg that quick <laughs> it's like, like next year like he's he's 18 he has a long career ahead of him he has at least 15 years in the sport yeah like there is no hurry for max verstappen to get a top tier seat like what are we really talking about here we're talking about an 18 year old that's had an above average first season that is brilliant no one is dis- no one is disputing that is that no, is course. brilliant the problem is is that we were the same fans that were penciling in Hulkenberg earlier this year, that were penciling in Bottas earlier this year as a future world champion. They were penciling Kubica. <laughs> yeah, Robert Kubica, Robert Kubica. Daniel Ricciardo was another name mentioned. Mm. All dudes with much better track records than, than Verstappen. It's like, all oh, that got kicked to the curb when they found out that the youngin was actually quite good. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is as well, in Formula 1, where it is such a... It's an arms race, and people expect mm. that. They don't want it. As I say, that's why F1 and IndyCar are different. IndyCar has a lot more standardized components. They mm-hmm. expect the racing to be closer generally, and that's what we have. Yeah. So in IndyCar, you can join... There's about half to about 60% of the grid that could challenge for wins on any given day. Like, look Absolutely. at Joseph Newgarn this year winning races for... Uh, nine, uh, nine di- Fisher. Hull. Yeah. Yeah, not, there was there was nine different winners this season. No, exactly. there was eleven. There was eleven different winners of the season before. So you know, contrast that with F one, where there was what three, three, three different di- winners this year. Three. At any given time, there's f- maybe four to six top tier, potentially championship winning rides. And at this point in time, there's two, maybe four. And guess what? Yeah. Two of them are Mercedes. Neither of the drivers are going anywhere soon. And the other one's Ferrari, where the only seat that might become available anytime soon is Raikkonen. So there's in Formula One you're always going to get this uh, like backup of 
too much young talent for the seats available because there's so few prime seats and if they're going to invest that much in a driver that's going to win them a championship you really have to have a track record and some money probably helps as well so it's uh-huh. it's very you know it's it's frustrating at times but i think to be honest with you i think nico holkenberg may have painted the way to a slightly brighter future to some of these guys because hey if you're not going to get to the very peak in f1 you're still going to have other opportunities to prove that you are a great driver and make a, a great career out of it. It's going to happen. So I don't think it's entirely all doom and gloom. But at, as you said, at the same time, the, the moment the, the, the S word came up, as in Senna, when talking uh, about Max Verstappen, I'm sitting there going, are you, are you, are you real? Are you for real? Six months into a career where, and just to put this into perspective, it's kind of the reverse of the Johnson Johnson it wasn't even six months it was after three rounds like China they were labeling him as like 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 Eddie Jordan was calling him the next Michael Schumacher after China a race he didn't even finish oh my word well it's it's one of these things again it's like the narrative it's the underdog story it's the it's the young champ you know it's it's stuff like that it's a little bit like um funnily enough Carlos Sainz Jr his teammate who everyone seemed to forget about he was like oh that guy and his old dad who's so proud of his son in there what you mean his world rally championship winning dad yeah Joss Verstappen was not <laughs> yeah. the only famous dad on this grid this year keep up but Carlos Sainz when he was in Russia he raced uh and did really well he had to retire late on but he admitted after the race he was driving whilst feeling pretty dizzy and there comes a point where you go was he brave for doing that race or flat out stupid like yeah. there's, there's only there's a certain level of wow that's heroic he raced on whilst barely being conscious I'm like um mm-hmm. and you're saying that's a good thing um, yep. yeah newsflash he probably <laughs> was not in a fit state to race no. you know but it's it's again it's the sort of cinematic glory narrative story that we like building up similar sort of thing to the Hamilton Rosberg stuff we were talking about before it's all about the narrative and mm. a 17 year old guy being great in F1 oh my word and as as I was about to say, it's kind of the reverse as what we had with Roman Grosjean and Pastor Maldonado in their early years. Mm. They are now mm. forever tarnished as car wreckers and, and you know car destroyers. Maldonado's got better, and let's not forget who had the better finish this year out of Grosjean and Verstappen. Grosjean did. Third place Grosjean. Spot. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Similarly, again, I mean, I love Hulkenberg to bits. But he is the great underappreciated star. Sergio Perez, Mr. Car Destroyer himself, Mr. Failure of McLaren, <laughs> Mr. Busted Flush, outscored him by, what was it, 10, 20 points? Yeah. He was in the championship. He had it a great season. 30 points. Yeah, yeah exactly. Perez, and, and Perez was outstanding in the second half of the season. After the summer break, he was he was a different guy. And Podium in it, Russia? It's, it's funny you mentioned, I just saw on Twitter right now, Jenny Gower, 10 minutes to go in, in what was a KOF1 style of, of, of voting, where basically it was like a knockout tournament where, where a winner stays on, they work their way up through the grid, mm-hmm. like Alexander Rossi got the early going, then Jensen Button came in quite early because of the way McLaren were down the field, and you, it's gotten to a point where it's gotten to the final, Max Verstappen knocked out nine dudes, including Bottas, Massa, Raikkonen, all that, beat Ricardo and Kvyat, beat Sebastian Vettel, <laughs> And is about to beat Lewis Hamilton to let be me, the champion. And Lewis let's Hamilton. <laughs> let's clarify this. Jenny Gao has said all along that it's a same car head to head who would be quicker. <laughs> you it's think, you, not you supposed think, to be a popularity contest. You but, think people are going to listen to that shit? <laughs> and it's quite obvious that they haven't. 
And, of course, what happened was I was the one person on Twitter that said, why do we automatically label these things as a popularity? And then I realized, oh, yeah, that's exactly why they were ring a popularity. <laughs> because that's exactly how it turned out. Fuck's sake. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, Dre, tempting... what have we told you about being optimistic? No, clearly. Like, I, 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 like I'm trying to be nice here, people. Like, I, I've been friend-zoned by the F1 Twitterverse. Retreat uh, back to your cynicism machine gun over on ask.fm. Yeah, I really should get that out more often. It, it, it's it's like I'm, I'm like an American with, with bad gun control laws. It's just the most, uh, <laughs> your cynicism I, I, chain gun. I, I like my gun. Please, nobody take my guns away. Um, you tried so, putting your gun down, and you immediately got shot. With with, with ten minutes left, Verstappen is going to be sixty three thirty seven majority winner over Lewis Hamilton at the time of report. At the time of winning. like it's not even close. It's a twenty five swing guy on the outside. <laughs> and admittedly, I'm a part of the problem. In one of the earlier rounds, I voted for Verstappen. <laughs> King, <laughs> King, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How His girlfriend. Go and sit I'm, in the corner I'm, for a minute and I'm think partial, about what you've done. I'm partial to blondes named Michaela. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, you bloody Michaela Schifrin fanboy. <laughs> Dre, this is all yours. I'm just standing back and grabbing the popcorn. How dare you! <laughs> How <laughs> dare King? You, you've let me down. You've let Johnson down. You've, you've let, let our country down. You've let our country down as an honorary Englishman, and you, most important, <laughs> you you have let me down. <laughs> oh. Plead, plead into, plead into the microphone for your forgiveness, King, right now. <laughs> I'll live. <laughs> oh. You, you asshole. That's a moment, like, kiss my foot and beg for forgiveness. No. No. You just struck the low blow. It depends. If it, if it was Michaela Schifrin's foot, then... <laughs> Whoa. 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 He'd probably consider it, wouldn't he? <laughs> Damn, son. Spe- well, speaking of cynicism and uh, potential conflict, MotoGP, everybody. Um, and no kinkiness. Let- well, depends what kind of kick you're referring to. But um, for the, uh, okay, unless you'd have done the rock, we all knew what happened with Rossi and Marquez at Sepang and how they clashed, came together, and you know it pretty much changed the perspective on what was already a, a ridiculous season coming off one of the greatest MotoGP races ever at Phillip Island. Um, Seagulls were headbutted. Um, Italians went crazy in all kinds of different contexts, and Mark Marquez pulled out the greatest lap of his career to win the Grand Prix in what was an all-time classic. If you still haven't seen Philip Pyden, go out of your way to go see it. Like, the whole thing's on daily motion. I don't normally approve of piracy, but you have no excuse. <laughs> Find it's that race. race you need to watch. It's a, it's a race that anyone who's even a partial fan of motorsport needs to watch. It's utterly magnificent. And you see a seagull get killed. I mean, <laughs> what more do you need? Great but, racing uh, and animal cruelty. It's <laughs> good. Animal cruelty. Everybody's favorite kind of cruelty. Um... Thanks, Peter. Um, but where do you even wrap your head around this one, King? Because this was arguably the biggest story in MotoGP history to have Rossi maybe or maybe not intentionally kick Marquez off a bike to try and help him win the championship. Oh, uh, it was the collision heard around the world. Yeah, <laughs> that much. was everywhere on social media. I'm pretty sure it made the front page of Reddit, and people are like, "What is this? Yeah, like, what? I want to see more." What is this bike shit? <laughs> <laughs> it's like they've watched a real life version of Road Rash. <laughs> but um, 
it was a massive story. Even people that weren't normally MotoGP fans were talking about it. And, you know, of course, people that were unqualified to talk about it started chipping in like Jason fucking Plato was on Twitter. It's like, well, to me, it looks like Marquez made contact with him first. And I'm like, shut the fuck up and stick to touring cars, bro. I was just like, they're like, Jason Plato is waxing lyrical about clean racing. Jason Plato has yeah. the universe imploded yet? <laughs> Amazing! Like Jason Plato is now the advocate for for, for for rider safety and clean racing. Like that 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 I find amazing. Like, That's like Wayne Rooney going on telly and being like, "Yeah, I don't believe in genetic hair transplants. That's wrong. You shouldn't tamper with your body like that. It's unnatural." And <laughs> then they and then they take my pubes to put on my head. Um, but yeah, it, it was a ridiculous story. It, it, it erupted. I mean, Rossi was given a free place, or sorry, a free penalty point uh, penalty, and then obviously because he had one earlier at Masato, ironically for holding up Lorenzo in qualifying, which I still find hilarious in, in its own right. Um, he was sent to the back of the grid in Valencia, and despite a valiant effort to claw Jack up into fourth place, it wasn't enough as Lorenzo won the race and took the championship, which of course. People were cynical over that one too because they accused Marquez of basically not trying hard enough. <laughs> which, which, like, read that back to yourself and think how stupid that sounds. Like, we're accusing Mar- Marquez of not trying hard enough to win a race. <laughs> uh, let's let's not forget who was in front of Marquez at the time, a rival factory rider on a rival factory bike. Now, I've interviewed drivers before. I've interviewed factory race drivers and riders before. I've once uh, had the honour of speaking to John Cleland, who was a factory driver for Vauxhall in the touring cars, the British touring cars in the 1990s. Basically, the law of the land in 1990s British touring cars was, you dare let any other manufacturer's car beat you, you're fired. I don't care if you have to crash them off, they're not beating you. Whether If you're driving a Vauxhall, guy next to you is driving a, Ven- a Renault, he's not beating you to the finish line, no matter what. It's, so, touring, it's touring, Carl. What did you expect? It would, exactly. <laughs> but my point is, yeah. you're hired by one manufacturer, and your sole job is to beat all the others. So to try and say that Mark Marquez somehow was going easy on one of his main rivals, do you think the Honda team would have accepted that? No. Not no in a million years. No. no million years. And people forget Valencia is a track where five of the last five of the last nine winners have won it from lights to flag. It's I mean, not it's not a race where you can where you can actively pass people like a Bruno or a Magello where hmm. almost every quarter is a passing opportunity. Valencia is just not like that. It's a slow yeah. track. It's very slow for Moto GP. There's very technical. There's not a very many. Like, turn one is your best shot. Maybe turn two, and that really realistically is about it. And if you ever actually watched the Grand Prix, you can see Marquez try alternate lines into turn six because he knew that was his best chance. He said it himself in the race interview afterwards. He said, "Look, I tried with about four or five laps to go to try and pull the pin. I couldn't do it. I couldn't break as late as Lorenzo could. So he couldn't even dive bomb like people accuse Marquez of doing all the time. If he tried, Marquez couldn't dive bomb. So." People are acting here like like Marquez did this on purpose to try and save face. Which my response was, if he did that, why the hell would he try so hard to win in Phillip Island to beat him when he was a it, second off the win at Phillip honestly, Island on the final lap? Honestly, this whole thing was like a sort of mass delusion. Mm-hmm. It was like, on, had anyone else, other than one of the greatest bike racers of all time, had anyone else come out with this nonsense, this three or four weeks full of absolute bilge mm-hmm. then they'd just be laughed out of town they'd be laughed out of the press conference they'd just be sitting there going reporters would be sitting there going are you seriously believing what you're saying right now are you seriously saying that 
Because if you are, I'm going to send you to a room with padded walls. <sighs> because you're making no sense. But it's Valentino Rossi. It's the goat. Yes. So, um, informed, um, and it was amazing how many rational, informed voices around the world just sort of lost the plot. Because yeah. it's Rossi. And as I, as I said earlier with the F1 hype trains, it's the narrative. The narrative was written and everyone wanted to see it through. Rossi, the greatest of all time. Everyone <laughs> thought he was past his prime. He's going to get one more championship. Oh, my God. No. No. Boring old Lorenzo wins so... Oh, Lorenzo won it on merit, didn't he? Fuck that. Let's look for excuses. No <laughs> yeah. Swear at Marquez on Instagram for months. He's still getting abuse on Instagram now. Yeah. On social media. And to be honest, it got so bad with everyone going, well, I'm not being a Mark Marquez fan again. I was the one guy who went, you know what? I'm Team 93 now. <laughs> Come on, Mark. Let's go. I'm one of your fans now. <laughs> it's, 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 it was a ridiculous situation. You know, like I said... Rossi's fan base is the biggest in all of motorsport, and it's it not even close. Like he transcends MotoGP's own popularity. He is a Roger Federer. He's a Ronnie O'Sullivan. He is a Usain Bolt, a Roger Federer, the kind of dude that he will get people outside of his sport to watch if he's involved. It's one of those things where we saw it in the Valencia finale, where you had guys that don't normally go to races go to it because it was Rossi's chance to win a championship. Mark Webber was there. Martin Brundle was there. You know, we had all these famous faces chip in, like Michael Laverty. He was chipping in. James Ellison was chipping in about this and having their own two cents. Toesland, obviously, being a MotoGP pundit, was like that. And, like, BT Sport was insufferable that day. Absolutely insufferable that day. Keith Hewn was speaking at a funeral at the end of that race. Yeah, it's it's like, like... we all saw like Lorenzo have this amazing celebration where we were celebrating with five guys in his old racing job. It was a fantastic touch. It was a really, really great celebration. And what happened? Like Hewan is over the top saying, Oh well, Valentino Rossi, it was an amazing effort and you know, if, if things had just gone his way a little bit better over the course such of the shame, season. Yeah. And it's such a shame and it's so, you know sad. And I'm like, I'm sitting in and my, my first thought was King will relate to this one better. King, do you remember when Adrian Peterson came back from the store in ACL? Yeah. A couple yeah. of years ago, and that, that that was the year he rushed for 2,100 rushing yards and was nine short of Eric Dickinson's all-time record. Like, it was a tweet from ESPN's Michael Smith that summed it up best where I said, he didn't need to break the rec- rushing record for me to tell you that was the greatest single season of rushing I've ever seen in my life. I didn't, I didn't need him to break the record to prove that. Because it's a shame, because... No matter which way you slice it, Rossi was magnificent this season. He was, was great. He was unreal. He had a run of 13 consecutive podiums. He was ultra consistent. Rain, you know, in the rain, in the sun, no matter what, on any context, on any ground. The fact that a 36-year-old Valentino was that great was magnificent. And it's a, if anything, it's a shame that he, he resorted, got desperate, and kicked Marquez off a bike in order to try and, in a desperate play, to try and win the championship. Because... His season was already so great. He didn't need to do something like that. He could have easily taken a very solid third place, taken it to the last round, would have qualified on the top four, and had really had a chance to go for it in a proper race to the race to the race to the race to the end to win the championship. It was just such a shame because it, I mean, it put it down what was a brilliant season. I mean. Even without a championship title, even if he finished second in the championship, it was still a magnificent season. Absolutely. Like, championship or not, he's the one who tarnished the season himself. Yeah, it's amazing when you look at it in that context, because you're absolutely right. I mean, Hervé Poncherod of Tech Free said it himself brilliantly. He said, that might be Rossi's greatest ever season without even realizing it because of the fact he was 36, because he was so competitive, 
and because Jorge Lorenzo is a demon, quite frankly, because mm. we all know that Lorenzo is arguably the pound-for-pound best rider on the planet. Yeah. Um, so for, for Rossi to be that great and that consistent over that season at 36 was insane and deserved all the credit in the world, but he put his own Nantner on it, which is a shame, because you know what? Mark, Mark, Mark Marquez's fan base might not ever be the same again after this, and it's a shame, because like I've always said, if there's one guy that can take the mantle off Rossi, it's Mark Marquez. The dude is special. Like, he's... Like, in, in this... It's like, Lorenzo is special, but he's more restrained. He's more mm. disciplined. He's more mentally focused and charged on it. And the thing is, Lorenzo's, Lorenzo's a great guy. I've, I've never had a bad word to say about Jorge Lorenzo, the person. The per- like, I've only ever criticized Jorge Lorenzo, the rider, because his style is just so smooth and so precise as a rider that it tends so, to... Yep, Lorenzo's perfect again. Yeah, it, it, what it, else is there to it, say? It, it, it's, it's, it's not captivating to watch on TV. And people have told me this themselves. Like, if they, they, if they actually watch Lorenzo at a track, they know how brilliant he is. But on, it, just, it just doesn't translate well to TV about, about, about how brilliant he is and how dominant a rider he can be. Marquez is the guy that's hanging off the hanging off the bike, yeah. body out, knee out, reckless. He's the guy, guy who looks fast. Yeah, he's the guy that looks fast. Jorge Lorenzo is the guy that just is fast, even yeah. though you would never guess he looks fast. And yeah. that's just the nature of it. And now it's going to be even worse looking now that all the Rossi families is going to resent Marquez for apparently being a cheat. Even though there is no real viable way of really labeling him that way, which is just a shame, really, because it's gonna it's gonna take him forever. But there you go. It's a shame, really. But at least we had the greatest ever MotoGP season, really. Yeah, to, we did. So yeah, to talk about that on the side as well. It was a good one for me to get back into MotoGP racing. Yeah. So well. Yeah, timed it very well. But you know, yeah. if you haven't watched MotoGP, give it a chance next season. Like, oh, hopefully yeah. Honda will be back to their best, and hopefully. Yeah. We'll have more Marquez v Lorenzo because they're the two best riders in the world for me. Well, uh, without any question, and you know, seeing those two go at it is, is never a dull time ever. No. <laughs> I'm curious to see how Marquez comes out of the blocks next season because this was the year where it was almost like never meet your heroes mm. because Rossi was his hero. They they raced together pretty hard, but just about fair. Mm. Obviously, again, like we talked about earlier, no one likes someone coming in and beating their heroes. So, of course, Marquez became the heel for that very reason. And then, but he still respected Rossi at all. And he almost seemed, it was almost like someone had kicked a puppy when he was responding to Rossi's claims at Phillip Island. He was almost like, but Rossi, I love you. You're my hero, man. Why don't do this? And Rossi was like, yeah, you're a dick. You ruined my championship. And Marquez is like, oh, I liked you. I had posters of you on my bedroom wall. Mm-hmm. So, and he was always Marcus. Is actually he's like the smiling assassin. He's not. He's not an arsehole He just no. goes out there. He's awesome, and then comes off and he's beaming, and he's all like, "Yeah, that was really good." <laughs> and like, I'm just curious next year if we'll get a slightly not nastier side, but if there'll be a little bit more of when they go wheel to wheel again, it'll almost be like Marcus looks across like, "All right, you ain't my hero anymore. I've ripped up all the posters and stuck them in the bin." Screw you. That's the funny thing about about Mark Marquez is that. Like we saw at Sepang that Marquez was very aggressive during the first early periods of that race. People don't realise that's just who Mark Marquez is. He doesn't discriminate when it exactly. comes to a, to aggressive riding. He's he shoved Pedrosa off the road, he shoved Lorenzo off the road before. Like he's done this to everybody. Like oh, yeah. the fact the fact this happened to Rossi was more coincidence than anything else. Because trust me on this, it plays to the narrative that way, but Marquez has always been an ultra aggressive rider. Yeah. And I've said it before. The reason people love Rossi 
was partly because of the exact same riding style that Marquez has exhibited since he got here. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I don't want to go New England Patriots fan right now, but well, Mark Marquez goes out there and does his job. He puts 100% out there, leaves nothing, leaves nothing back, and, you know, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't treat anyone differently. 100% right. pulls so- it in. Acts like everything's fine because he did what he's paid to do yeah. and try to win a Grand Prix. Yeah, yes. and you're, you're surprised a lot by that. But, I mean, I remember when I happened to watch, I think it was the British Grand Prix 2013. So that would have been Marquez's rookie season, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, yes. yeah it, was. it was. And he and Lorenzo, they went to war. I'm not like They went to war. I'm I'm surprised they weren't literally just swerving into each other down the straights with just how much these guys were just going at it. How both guys made it to the finish, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And it basically just happened that Lorenzo was leading when the music stopped. It was one of those kind of races. <laughs> they were swapping the lead two or three times per lap. Yeah. Just one would dive on the other, then vice versa. Then it was and it was just awesome to watch. It was almost like Lorenzo went, Alright, you wanna <laughs> play it that way? Yeah. Step up, bitch. And it was but, <laughs> And again, and even this year, as, as you saw, Marcus was not discriminating. He, this was, now this is quite funny. I mean, uh, in NASCAR, when you had the, the big Kenseth Logano thing, there was a lot of talk about yeah. driver code. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people code. didn't understand that at first, but when Ricky Craven went on ESPN and explained it, you were kind of like, ah, eh, okay, I get what he's talking about now. But when people started talking about the driver, the championship contender code in MotoGP, I was like, <laughs> oh, really? Come on. Are the you same, kidding me? The These same, same people were yeah. probably the ones who were slagging off. Was it Petrucci? Yeah. Who literally looked like he'd just seen a ghost when Rossi came up behind him in Valencia and was like, ah, just flew off the track. Like Petrucci looked behind him, saw it was Valentino, and got out of the way. And I'm like, Petrucci, after that brilliant season you had, you had to go and ruin it. <laughs> by, like, by, by basically playing into the code. <laughs> the code that doesn't really exist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the code that yeah. Valentino Rossi broke at Mateki 2010 when he was out of title contention and nearly ran Lorenzo off the track. Reach it, Dre. <laughs> it's on, not Kate. like they're in a different class. They're all racing for the same points. Exactly. There's no reason to pull over. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's the name. Like, like, yeah, like, Johnson's hitting the nail on the head. Like, they're, 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 the main mentality here was the code. Like... Mm. And like Michael Laverty's tweet about it, I think was the one that made the most poignancy with me because he talked about it after the race. He said that, oh, it's the code. You don't interfere with a title contender. And I'm like, and then when Casey Stoner was the first guy to dismiss that on Twitter himself, because Casey was like, well, you do realize that like Mateki 2010, Rossi pretty much bars Lorenzo out in a, in a fight for the second, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you, like you do realize this, yeah? <laughs> like, and this then, was, let's not forget, this was largely the same Twitter sphere that were the first to cry foul when we had an epic final race of the British Touring Car Championship. And they were the first to cry foul by saying, oh, well, Shedden, Gordon Shedden didn't make up 20 positions on his own. Clearly, everyone just jumped out of his way. That sucks. They should have raced him. I'm sorry. Had <laughs> one of those guys got into it with Shedden and taken him out, they wouldn't have left Brands Hatch alive. So which way do you <laughs> want it? Do you want it to be equal no matter who's in title contention? Or do you want people to basically act like there's only two guys on the track? Make up your minds. To be fair, I may have been one of those people. (laughs) No, no, no. I I mean, what I'm saying is you you weren't 
you weren't saying that for the British touring cars and then immediately flipping the other way for MotoGP and demanding no. everyone get out of Rossi's way. That was the thing. There was a lot of double standards there. At least yeah, you like, were consistent. Yeah, like, I, I said it before. Like, I, I watched that finale. Like, it felt like people were playing conservative with Shed and that way. I think Aaron Smith was the only guy that was really giving them a race for it. And I thought that was kind of annoying. But again, nature of motorsport, there is a code. There is an unwritten yeah. code of honour. And it's unfortunate that that kind of thing really exists, especially yeah. when it came to Michael Laverty saying that some of those Moto3 guys need a clip round the throat, apparently, because they, they didn't get out of the way for Danny Kent winning his Moto3 title that way, which he made a big dog's dinner of down the stretch even though we got all the plaudits for it, which I still think they go if I was the better man that season, but hey, what do I know? You um, screw me for not following the narrative. <laughs> I love it, Trey. You've got the big name interview with Danny Kent out of the way. Trash him. Say what you want again. <laughs> Trash him. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, I thought I'd get the one out. I thought I'd just get that one off my chest real quick before the <laughs> second break. But yeah, another quick, musical, quick musical break, and after that, we'll talk some Susie Wolf, and we'll talk some Q&A. <laughs>
And we're back for the final part of this episode of Motorsport 101. And uh, King, I know you've been waiting for this, and I know it's probably not going to happen anymore. I know the finish line isn't really a thing anymore. Sad face. But uh, this is this is your moment, isn't it? It's time yeah. for <laughs> the Susie Wolf update for the last time. Even though I did for the last time on the previous episode of the finish line, but this one's for Motorsport 101. Yeah. Uh, Susie Wolf has decided to hang up her helmet, as most of you already know. <laughs> yes, Why? Yes, she's so yes. nice. Yes, she's, she is very, very nice, but not that competitive. Uh, <laughs> she decided that her last competitive outing would be the Race of Champions this year at the Olympic Stadium in London, and... Uh, she ended up being, you know, beat out in the first round by her fellow countryman, David Coulthard, in yeah. not dramatic fashion, pretty predictable, to be honest. <laughs> and, but she she was proud. She said it was a highlight of her career to be be a participant in the Razor Champions. Aw. Yeah, aw. <laughs> Even though she's kept very hush about what she will be doing after her her career is over even though her career is over now she's she's been spotted on that but i'll say in a minute yeah she's been spotted around the msa and she says she wants to help young young drivers move up through the ranks of motorsports she hasn't specified whether it'll be only girls but Mm. she's hinted that it might be heavily favored towards girls so i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised to see Susie wolf you know doing something with the msa in yeah. that area. So maybe producing an all-female or, you know, majority female academy kind of thing. Maybe. Sort of. Maybe, Although sort of. Although it's a grassroots level, isn't this what we've been saying should be the way to go? Rather than an all-female F1 series, which Absolutely. is you, then <laughs> female grassroots academies? I'm down. Uh, I'm no, down. Exactly. I don't know. Like I'm still, I'm still heavily on my plan for a European all-female Formula Four championship. That's still a good idea too. Like that's that's the entry-level single-seat series now across the world. So why not have it have it start there instead of karting? Because karting's convoluted in its own right, really. Yeah. So yeah, Susie Wolf is done, and I'm going to miss her. I think Susie, I think Susie Wolf is a great ambassador for the sport. I think she's a, a great figure. She's a lovely girl. Yeah. I, I, like she's one of the nicest people. I, I've never heard anyone ever have a bad word to say about Susie Wolf, the person. Like I love no, the no. fact she played along with people like like Carl Frotzel and joked about her about her Scottish accents, even though she married a German in so or Austrian, I should say, in so so Wolf. And you know she's always been down for a laugh, and she's always been like a very very positive role model and there is no doubt she has inspired female drivers I've had people I've had people many people say you know Susie Wolf's been a big inspiration for them and that's only a good thing like I can't like you can't really criticize that and yeah yeah maybe she shouldn't have been there on merit but yeah we say that about half the men that enter F1 these days as well so it's kind of a moot point really in context when you consider the fact that you know, if you want to have a bash at Susie Wolf for not being talented enough to be there, yeah, we say that about the men too. At least we're equal in that department, I suppose. Um, yeah. But I've always looked at Susie Wolf as kind of like a necessary evil. Like I would, I for one would love more female representation in F1 because it can only be a good thing. Yeah. Like 
unique sponsors, you, you know, better audience viewers, because, you know, you know, getting women in, involved in Formula 1 on any level, I think, is a good thing. I mean, look how many, on an average race weekend, how many people do you see, like, female-wise in the team, like paddocks, team, like, pit crews, crew chiefs? Oh, yeah. Uh, like, I would... Like, on, a, on a basic level, it's not that great, is it? I'd say one in eight, one in seven. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's about what twelve to fifteen percent. That's that's yeah. that, that's a, a startling amount of inequality. Like that would not be in any other industry, except I mean, outside of sports. You know, like as I wrote an article early in the year, the driver population is much worse than that. It it usually mm. hovers around one percent of all racing drivers are women. Yeah, yeah, one. Like one in a hundred as opposed to one in <laughs> And even, like, like, it's bad enough on a staff level, let alone a driver level. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, if having Susie Wolf in the paddock has inspired more female drivers to maybe enter grassroots racing or to give it a try and or, or you know, to be inspired and to be motivated to keep going forward with their careers because she made it to F1 in that context, then I'm, I'm all for her as a necessary evil. Because I know in a perfect world, we'd all love the best 22 drivers in the world to be in Formula Absolutely. 1 but it, but it's never going to be like that there's too many side branches there's too many alters and that's a good thing like variety is the spice of life at the end of, of the day and you, you know it, F1 has never had the definitive best 22 or 20 or 24 in the world taking part it's never as simple as that and, isn't and that, it's all sorry is yeah, that why you know the championship table doesn't lie at the end of it if you're only there because of money then you ain't going to win the championship. Ultimately, yeah. the combination... And this is the thing that's overlooked when we're talking about drivers and everything earlier. And remind me in a minute, I'm going to come back to that point because I found something very interesting on Twitter oh. uh, which will help further put a bazooka in the side of the Mustafan hype train. Um, people love to forget this, but it's... You know, no championship is ever won by just the driver or just the car. It's, it's won by the perfect combination of driver, car engineer and crew and morale and co- there's so many different factors that go into it there's so many different reasons why Hamilton won the title this year and Rosberg didn't it wasn't just that Hamilton better Rosberg worse Hamilton better mentality or whatever there's so many different things that go into it and mm-hmm. you know guys do not become bad overnight something else changes you know like look at Vettel dominant to average to good again you know it, he never lost talent in those years. Things changed around him. That's what always happens. So, um, you know, it, it, it always comes about. So, obviously, you know, in an ideal situation, the the most notable female representative for racing drivers in the world would be, you know, someone like Simona, Sil- Simona Di Silvestro. Mm-hmm. Uh, easy enough for me to say, but hey, couldn't get sponsorship through it. What was it? Yeah. Salva? She was Salva. Yeah. Which is a real shame. Which is a real shame. And conversely... The world got rightfully annoyed that Carmen Jorda got hired for Lot Ew. I just I can't even finish mm. the sentence with kind of retching. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, the, I mean the big issue is, and I have spoken to or spoken to uh, female drivers before about this. One of my favourite people to talk to about this is a driver called Abby Eaton, who's currently in the GT Cup. She's she uh, was last year the Mazda MX-5 Super Cup champion. And she, has, she has aspirations to go to the V8 supercars, which I really want to see happen. But at the same time, she has talked very eloquently about female drivers in motorsport. And she didn't like the idea of a all-female F1 series because for her, she kind of, to a point, didn't want it to be about her being a female driver versus others being a male driver. She just wanted 
her to be a racing driver that is compared against other racing drivers. She wants to be the best in the world, beating whoever is in front of her, be they men or women. Do you see what I mean? And if so, you want, and if you want true equality, that's what it's all about. Nobody exactly. wants, nobody but, wants to be the world's best female racing driver. Everyone wants to be the best racing driver. Period. It's a bit like selling Lewis Hamilton. He but, wants to be the uh, best black racing driver ever. <laughs> like, there's, there's a plethora of competition here. <laughs> but I, I, okay. it always goes back to this thing where racing is very expensive, yes. and yes. And that's the main issue. I feel like the cost of entry is a bigger issue than gender equality. If you yeah. fix the cost of entry, gender equality will probably fix itself. If because costs are not an issue, then you can select just on talent. Yeah, because it's come to a point where people have to be selective within their own families. Yeah. I'm going to share a story. I'm not going to disclose the source of where I heard this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to... Um, Derek Daly, you know... The former Formula One driver. Mm-hmm. He has. He's dad now. Yes, yes. <laughs> he has three kids, and Connor, at a young age, was chosen. He was the one who was gonna be the one to even have a chance to go racing. The other two never had an option to to race if they wanted to because it was that expensive. Yep. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's pretty crazy. And like, yes. so, yeah, the, the, the family had to, kind of have to come together and say, "Sorry, brothers. Like Connor's the best here." <laughs> Like, <laughs> go and learn to, the guitar or something. Like, like stick to soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like that, that's brutal. But yeah, on the whole, I'm gonna miss Susie. I hope. I don't mean, know if if she's able to continually push the idea for female participation in motorsport. Then I'm all for it, and I wish her all the very best. Like, can we get her on Sky Sports F1 as well? She'd definitely be an upgrade on Johnny Herbert. Oh like, yeah, oh, she'd be a great pundit <laughs> on that. And I got a lot of respect for her back in. Well, I think she was talking a little while ago. I think it was when she was in F1, but she was referring to back in her DTM days, of course, where she certainly was no disgrace over there. No. Uh, you know, people like to point out her results and be like, well, she never did anything in DTM. You might want to add an asterisk on that and say she never had. She was always driving year or two-year-old cars, and yet she was doing better in some cases than guys with current equipment in a very, very competitive uh, championship out there. Um, but she did get beat by her teammate, Roberto Mary. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not saying she was like the great forgotten talent of DTM and should have won titles or anything, but you know, by the same token, very much like Danica Patrick, I'm so tired of Danica Patrick's oh. because there is no middle ground with Danica Patrick. She's either the great shining white hope for uh, female racing drivers in the US, or she's the most overrated thing in the world. What is she even doing in a racing car? She needs to go into the kitchen and make me a sandwich. There's just no middle ground, and it just gets so tedious. People don't like narrative complexity. They either want things to be the best or the worst. No middle ground. People don't like complexity. That's the theme of tonight's show. Fans love a narrative, but reality is stranger than fiction. Yeah, and it's it's something I heard as well the other day with... um, I was watching Around the Horn um, on ESPN um, yesterday with with Jackie McMullen one, and she dedicated her FaceTime to basically slamming down Gilbert Arenas after he recently oh, made God. comments about the WNBA and how, you know, like, now I know why you're called Agent Zero. And it's one of those things where I read the comments on the video after that, oh, and it's no. I knew that was a bad idea from the get-go because Don't it was the that. same old... You lose brain cells. Yeah, it's the same old, oh, why isn't she in the kitchen making me a sandwich? Because, you know, people will do anything to get their comments liked on Facebook. And you know, that's just the nature of it. And we're, I think we're still a long way from breaking that mentality. Yeah. Um, but 
at the same time, if we have people like Susie Wolf around, then hey, maybe there is some hope for and us all. Yeah. As I say, getting to the, my rather long-winded point there, mm. uh, she was talking about how back in her DTM days, she would regularly drive bright pink cars and be in bright pink fire suits and everything. And she said, you know, just because I'm in a male-dominated world and I want to prove myself against the males, I'm not going to deny that I'm a woman. I like handbags. I like makeup. I like going out and, you know, and being st- stylish or whatever. You know, I'm not going to deny that. But at the same time, when it comes to racing, I want to be judged on an equal level. You, you, she kind of put it in a very succinct way that kind of, yeah. I sort of was like, I respect that. It's I respect like- that. She, she she doesn't want to sacrifice her femininity to be judged as an equal. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that's a brilliant so line. Much better. That's a brilliant line. Yeah. That is an absolutely brilliant line. I will close that segment on that line. So yeah. next up, and finally to wrap whoa, up the show. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry, hold your horses. Go on. Hold, hold it right there. Go on, Johnson. <laughs> I've just had a very interesting tweet come across my phone. Go on. Uh, from FormulaOne.com. This is on their official website. Uh oh. It's called the 2015 F1 Super Grid. Oh, that tweet. <laughs> now, this is, have you seen this, Ryan? Ah, uh, yes, I've seen it. Yeah, this is very interesting, right? Uh, I'm not. A little bit. Okay, Dre, I will. Um, I will let you know. Um, uh, basically, the article goes: How do you judge driver performance over any single season in Formula One racing, particularly one where the top ten in the drivers' championship finished in team order? Looking at the points table will tell you so much. And it goes down. It says we compared every driver's best lap at each race to the outright fastest time um, I'm going to have to make sure I read this right because this could get confusing very quickly which mm. is expressed below as 100 this is in a graph that they're on those yeah. tallies are then added up and divided by 19 or fewer if they were not present like Fernando Alonso in Australia to produce yeah. an index for each driver over the entire season so this is basically working out the average raw pace yeah over an entire season. Now, I'm getting to the point of the order of the they've worked it out. Unsurprisingly, Hamilton leads the field. Nico Rosberg is close behind. There's a clear gap between the Mercs and the rest of the field. Yes. However, would you like to know three through... Well, three through the rest of the field. Go on. Third place, Sebastian Vettel. Fairly mm-hmm. obvious. Fourth place, Valtteri Bottas. Yeah. Fifth place, Kimi Raikkonen. Mm-hmm. Sixth place, Danny Ricciardo. Yeah. Seventh place, Felipe Massa. Yeah. Eighth place, Daniel Kvyat. Mm-hmm. Ninth place, Roman Grosjean. Ah. Tenth okay. place, Carlos Sainz. Eleventh <laughs> place, Nico Hulkenberg. Twelfth wow. place, Max Verstappen. Thirteenth <laughs> place, Sergio Perez. Fourteenth, Pastor Maldonado. Fifteenth, Felipe Nazar. And then a Big, big jump back to Marcus Ericsson, Fernando Alonso, and Jensen Button. They're all fairly close together. And then a long way further back. So much further back that they admitted they had to recalculate the scale on the graph. Bruh. The three mana guys. <laughs> Stevens, Mary, and Rossi in that order. But I, like, I, I found the graph. I like the fact that the three manas were just outside that 107% line that we normally wouldn't get in those legs. <laughs> Like that ain't good. <laughs> I like the fact they were so far back they had to sort of like shrink the slider like to fit them all in. It's like trying to fit people into a picture. It was just like keep shrinking it, keep shrinking it. How small are we gonna have to make this graph until like, we can like, fit those guys in on the left? I, 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 it would, I, I, it I, would I, look so embarrassing if it was full size. Like I, I, okay, I'll tell you this for a fact. I'm not just before I go to the Q and A. When my godbrother got married um, last year. 
when the wedding photographer took the photos, like the god brother, like uh, the brother's god brother, the god brother's brother, I should say, was actually out of the shot in the official wedding photographs. So they had to put him back in a suit and take him back outside the same church to take photos again so he could be included. <laughs> it's that kind of situation. <laughs> More like a bad wedding photographer than anything else. But hey, Q&A time. Let's and, do it. Uh, Q&A time where you guys send in the questions and then the three of us will answer them in delectable, sarcastic fashion. First up, Daniel Brennan. Long time listener to the show. Hi, Daniel. He says, How many shrines should the most poor community build in praise of Quanah Daly after his recent signing at Dale Coyne? <laughs> that should have been rephrased to, How many shrines is Dre going to build? The answer is at least 17. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> one for each race. <laughs> there should be one for each race, and yeah, I am delighted to have Connor be a part of, the, of, of, of in the carpool time next season, and much, much deserved because he was brilliant when he was a stand-in earlier this year um, at places like Detroit and, and Long Beach Road for the Vidal coin there as well. I think it's fair to say he was more than winning or worthy of a seat, I should say. Yeah. King, anything to add to that real quick? Yeah, it's like, it's great to finally see Connor Daly race full-time for, what, the first time in two years? Oh. <laughs> it's just, it's so good to see. It's so good to see the talent rewarded. And it was so nice to see just how genuinely excited and humbled he was. You know yeah. he's been waiting for this chance for so, so long. He'd been working at it. He subbed last year at Dale Coyne. He then subbed for James Hinchcliffe. And I yeah, tell you Smith what, Peterson. Oh, yeah. And I tell you what, if you haven't found the live mayor on air they did, oh, I can't remember what the show was. It was a car show. It was where Dale Coyne made the announcement that, mm-hmm. um, that Daly will be driving full-time. Uh, Hinch actually did a live episode of his podcast on stage with Daly and Ganassi NASCAR driver Kyle Larson. Mm-hmm. It's a beaut. You need to go and find it. It's great stuff. And it proves delightfully why Hinch and Daly would make any motorsport paddock more colourful and IndyCar's PR people must be rubbing their hands together that they've got those two plus everyone else on the roster and to be honest they don't need narratives they write themselves mm-hmm. with the roster they've got over there and I think I think what's going to be interesting is that the year just gone was a very competitive rookie year but generally the rookies really struggled up against the established order so yes. I wonder what Daly's expectations will be for the season, what Coin's expectations will be for the season. And what's pleasant about this as well is that uh, Coin, for the last few years, has largely relied on pay drivers. Mm. You know, the likes of your, was it Carlos Huertas? I think it was. I think Huertas ran a few, yeah. Huertas Francesco ran... Dracone. Dracone. Oh, yes. I'd almost yeah. forgotten about him. I'd almost <laughs> dug him out of my brain with a spoon. Oh, joy. And, you know, of course, you've got, Downforce USA's own Pippa Man. Yeah. Lovely that she's going to be back again, at least for the Indy 500, hopefully. Uh, she's a real grafter on it. But, you know, basically they've had to rely on inconsistent driver rosters, not quite doing the full season. I think Trist- didn't Tristan Vautier do quite a few races for them last year? He did. Yeah, uh, yeah Vautier, Vautier did. He did. I think, I think wasn't it Ohio we finished second that week or a fourth? I think it was fourth that weekend in mid Ohio. Yeah, like yeah, forty had, had a couple of really good weekends. To be fair to him, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did. And um, you know, it's I think a lot of it came from uh, was it Bird Bird Racing or uh, the the sponsors coming mm. on board 
uh, and that's also meant that they're entering a car for Brian Clausen to attempt the Indy 500 this uh, next year. Um, so I think that injection of cash and sponsorship enabled Coin to go right. We've got the funds sorted here. Uh, not saying the daily is lacking for a penny. You know, that's the thing about motor racing. You know, everyone slams <laughs> pay drivers, but. Ninety percent of race drivers are technically pay drivers. I'm sorry, uh, you're not signed to a factory team. You're a pay driver. It just depends where you get your money from, whether it's sponsors, yeah. rich family, your government, whatever. You know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but basically, what I'm saying is, it's nice to see that Coin doesn't have that pressure on him, and he could select daily more on a secure contract for the full season on talent, knowing that this guy is, is probably going to return on investment. Mm-hmm. I think this guy is going to be the real deal, and I think it may well be Europe and ultimately the world single-seater community's loss, and it will be IndyCar's gain for it because I think Daly is a talent in the car and a massive personality out of it. Mm-hmm. Very much so, and yeah, same thing with Joseph Newgarden. He was another guy that tried Europe and didn't, it, didn't, it didn't work out for him either. And that again, that's IndyCar's gain because he's now a top-tier driver in that class. So. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, everybody's losses, everybody else's game. Um, Miles Pardo, the pardonator. Hello, sir. He asked, talk about maybe the rumoured ITV TV deal. And th- yes. th- th- there's been a rumour doing the rounds that the BBC are set to further cut their coverage. For those guys I don't know, they're, 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 there's plans, there's rumours they might be cutting their snooker coverage, their darts coverage of the BDO at Lakeside. They've already they're, cut their rugby coverage. They've already cut their rugby coverage. There's this in them. They might cut their. They already cut MotoGP two years ago after the rule. Um, they're, they're considering cutting their, dart, their darts coverage and the big one being Formula One. And with ITV rumored to pick up the pieces to bring it back, which would be F1 having the uh, F1 being on ITV for the first time since 2008. I was like 2008, 2008. Yeah, because that was, was 2001 was the BBC. So there's been rumored talk about that. I think according to to the, I think the law from Bernie, there's got to be a free TV provider of, yeah. of of F1 in this country. And so it, it would pretty much probably have to be ITV to get to get Formula One coverage for it to be viable. At this stage, but with the B, the the, the, the rumored reasons that because BBC are not making all that money off Top Gear anymore, um, which which Top Top Gear was making them sixty million a year apparently, which is just stupid money. No matter which way you cut it, like because of the, the BBC losing Top Gear, less people paying for TV licenses because people have discovered the internet um, and things like that. You know they got they got to cut corners into an F one might be a victim, which. Sadly, makes sense given how expensive it is for for F one to go around the world twenty times a year and film ten live races. Because you all know, live TV is the pinnacle of you know expensive expensive you know, production and broadcasting yeah. costs and whatnot. And they're already doing ten of those races every year. And you know, having twenty or nineteen twenty could be twenty one next year in general. Um, it's if you're the head of the BBC, it must be hard to justify. Well, continuing to pay for F one. Yeah, well, I think they would have more sympathy for their cause, but they have botched it in several ways. Number one, um, when they first, they did the ultimate betrayal in terms of, uh, because everyone was like, well, you know, obviously F1 has to be on free TV to a degree. And that technically meant the entire season had to be live on free TV. But of course, uh, BBC a few years ago went, well, what if not the entire season's on free TV and we jump into bed with Sky Sports? Cha-ching! There we go. <laughs> and that annoyed a lot of fans. But the big thing there, it would have been okay if BBC said, you know what, 
We needed the money. We're hard up right now. Sky mm -hmm. came along and said, hey, brother, we'll help you out. We'll take off that, that nice F1 you got there. We'll put it on its own channel. We'll have three Lewis Hamilton fanboys talking about the commentary. And, you know, <laughs> um, that's a little bit of a disrespect to the presenters over there. They, you know, guys no, it isn't. Croft, great commentators. But no, it isn't. yeah, it's the narrative. <laughs> it's the narrative they have to say. Mm -hmm. But problem is, what did they use for that money that they got for that deal? To buy a rubbish talent show. <laughs> the rights to a talent show that's slightly worse than the X Factor, which is already at this point pretty much a, a dead horse that is slowly being flogged each year and will only literally stop being flogged once it's a pile of giblets on the ground and has stopped producing any money whatsoever. What, so, what is this? Huh? What show is this? Of, the voice. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, the thing is, sake. this time around... Uh, it's kind of the thing is again you know now BBC is saying well they're, they're not making as much money for the license fee uh, you know they've got to cut again and it's sports once again bearing the brunt but you can kind of see where the high ups of the BBC's priorities lie F1 yeah we've got to cut that rugby yeah we've got to cut that they're already splitting the Six Nation Championship next year with um, ITV um, you know snooker cut that Dart, cut that. Wimbledon, oh my god, no! No! Yeah. We will die rather than sell Wimbledon. <laughs> no. Wimbledon Can't give that to the cost. Period Talk. dramas? No. The voice? No. Hey, hey, we, we need those period dramas. Public broadcasting doesn't exist in the U.S. It operates off of solely donations. Like, yeah. the only thing that PBS has here is broadcasting Downton Abbey. <laughs> Which is yeah, airing exactly. it's, think... its final ever episode this time next week. Well, <laughs> I, I think to, to conclude, I think, well, to conclude my point, um, I think that's why, you know, BBC would have more sympathy if they had just come out and said, look, you know, F1's very expensive. We can't justify it on its own. But I think there's just, it's kind of obvious where their priorities lie. And it's like, oh, well, you haven't got the money for F1, but you have got the money for mediocre talent shows and Wimbledon. Because they're easy viewers. They're easy viewers. Because like people love a reality TV show. It's the cheapest format of show to make. And it's the one that's most likely to get you the most amount of viewers. There's a good reason why Keeping Up With The Kardashians is still on TV. Because people love that family as a car crash. And it's really, really cheap to make. All you've got to do is just basically stick them in a studio for a few minutes at a time. And keep a few cameras in their house. And you're sorted. It's as simple as that. So, you know, it's the nature of how television is evolving. And how... As we know it, TV is dying, and how we're all going to the Netflix, Amazon Video, the Hulus of the world. I think we're now moving to more on-demand content with almost everything. That's why YouTube is now the dominant animal when it comes to video production, like Twitch and whatnot as well. And it's why TV as we know it is dying, and that's why these, these companies have got to adapt or die. It's why BBC3 is becoming an internet-only channel now, which... I still think it's a terrible idea, yeah. but, but it's kind of getting with the times to a degree as well. So it's a shame, and you know, maybe maybe we got to dust off Louise Goodman and Steve Ryder for ITV's coverage. Um, <laughs> if it's uh, you know, to be fair, yeah. what I will say is that ITV have done a bang up job on the touring car coverage. Yes, and I mean, to be fair, they've had the luxury of giving ITV literally block booking. 10 hours of ITV4 on a Sunday afternoon to not only showing every single touring car race with no commercial breaks during the race, 
but mm-hmm. also they've shown every single support race pretty much and there's a good four or five support series on the Tocker package yep. and they have the interviews with the drivers their coverage of the touring cars spot on so yeah there's no, there's no argument about that so no so i i, I think yeah. people are already going eh, well they'll they'll blatantly <laughs> cut to an advert when there's a lead change nah i don't think so i think no. we've moved on from 2005 now or what was it was it Liverpool versus Everton in the FA Cup that time. They cut to an ad break just as the winning goal was scored in extra time. Yes, yes oh, it was. Oh, my word. I oh, remember yeah. watching that live and just being like, oh, dear. Someone's getting fired in the morning. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, that's a thing. Um, I don't want to get into the politics about why the license fee is completely flawed and why the BBC don't want to rewrite their charter so there isn't a license fee anymore to turn to a straight-up tax, yeah. or they can start advertising. Yeah, pretty much. Then, then, you know, and there'd be far too, many, uh, far too many old suits wobbling their jowls in disgust at the thought of having to sit through adverts whilst watching their beloved Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> hey, can't have that. It, if, it, if it became a tax... I'm pretty sure the BBC would be fine. They would be able to pay for Formula One the entire season. Yeah, pretty much. But there you go. Connor Pink asking me, will Haas joining next year encourage more teams to to be started or other rich people to be involved in sports to join? No. I think it depends how their debut season goes. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm with King on this one. I'm I'm in the straight-up no camp because F1 is a black hole... Where, where companies like to pour money into, hoping that they eventually yeah. seek a fruit out of it. Because it, yeah. you've, got, you've got to spend half a billion to be even relevant in Formula 1. And yeah. who's got that to throw away? Gene Haas and... is one of the very few people who, who would qualify for this. Mm. Yeah, Gene Haas has come to F1 knowing he's throwing money into a black hole. He's doing it for, for advertising purposes. People will care about yeah. us on a, on a more global scale if they're involved in F1. So yep. he's, he's willing to spend the money to see if that can work. But, you know, F1 is, is one of the most uninvestable sports on the planet. You just can't do it on that level. It's, no. it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it would be nice to have more investors in Formula 1. Of course, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't want more interest in the sport, but... The entry fees the better part of half a billion to even be a decent team. I mean, we, we see Mana, they, they operate on a £60 million a year budget and they're shit. So that, that should tell you all you need to know, relatively speaking, about how hard it is to be an F1. Like, Haas doing well is not going to encourage a billionaire to say, oh, let me drop nine figures a year in this F1 team. No. Yeah. It's, it's like most any... vanity projects at this point. Exactly. So, Anyone with the money to start an F1 team is more likely looking to buy the commercial rights itself, not yeah. it start a team. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which well, is what Red Bull, which what Red Bull were considering earlier this year. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, I think it was interesting. Uh, I quite, I quite enjoyed the fact that uh, during the BBC's coverage of the final F1 round, they actually did quite a nicely balanced piece looking at Gene Haas's history mm. in NASCAR in the recent few years. They had some pretty nice footage, and they, they treated NASCAR pretty level-headed. It. I think I've yeah. enjoyed it from that perspective because, hey, as a British NASCAR fan, I've been used to the rednecks turning left, lol, for about the however long I've liked the sport. But now people are going, hang on, that NASCAR, isn't Gene Haas in NASCAR? And now he's doing F1. Wait a oh. minute, so NASCAR isn't as dumb as we thought? No! <laughs> well done, it only took you how long to finally come round to it but it's like hey now you're willing to turn up and actually respect nascar but anyway i'll get off my soapbox now yeah um but there was a lovely (laughs) there was a really nice uh piece about gene Mm. Haas moving into f1 and how he'd done well in nascar already and the vibe i kind of got it was 
Haas went into NASCAR with eyes wide open. He joined up with Tony Stewart uh, and was, I think, was already owned a team in that sport. And then Tony Stewart came on board with him. They formed Stewart Haas Racing. They got Hendrick engines and are now multiple times champions. Tony Stewart won in 2011. Harvick last year nearly repeated again this year. They're very successful. And obviously, Kurt Busch is directly sponsored by Haas CNC. Um, So he's heavily in the game. But it feels to me like he's going, well, I've conquered NASCAR. Everyone thought that would be very difficult for me to do. I stuck it out. I did things well. I I, 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 I did it. So let's try F1 with a similar philosophy. Let's get engines and tech supplied by an already successful team. That takes away half of the legwork for us. Let's go in there. Experienced drivers, which, you know, I think... I was pretty biased. I kind of wanted, you know, an American super team from IndyCar or whatever. But hey, he's made exactly the right choice. Two experienced yeah. guys. Grosjean is, is a great is a great driver waiting for that breakout season, I think. So absolutely the right choices. Aligned with one of the most successful and experienced teams on the grid. I, to be honest with you, I think they'll do okay next year. On the question Agreed. of whether it will encourage other people to come in, I think it will be interesting to see whether they do because over the last few years we've more been worried about teams going away rather than more teams coming in we had that famous stat about the three new teams in 2010 they have they all gone now or is manor counting as one of them uh manor counts Manor Manor counts. counts. so two of the three have gone under and the other one survived by the skin of their teeth basically they almost had to busk on street corners outside of grand prix yes. to get the entry fee together for this year yep. so and we have every so often we hear rumors well lotus was in bad trouble this year they were locked out of their own hospitality all that sort of madness you know their trucks were impended mm-hmm. salva force india every so often we hear they're in financial trouble so i think f1 kind of needed a new team to step up and say no do you know what it's not an uninvestable black hole and we're going to step into the fray. So yeah. I think if Haas F1 sink without trace next year and just, you know, they're absolutely terrible and it is just a huge money pit, then other teams are just going to go, <laughs> I ain't bothering, bye. But I think if uh, they do moderately okay, I think other teams might be... Because there's always that sort of... Um, what am I trying to say? That sort of dreamer. You're always going to get dreamers who are like... No, you know what? I'm going to defy the odds. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to defy the odds, and I'm going to be the one who proves that you can do it, and I'm going to be, you know... You know, no one goes into sport thinking, oh, I'm going to finish last, and I'm happy with that. They all go in because they believe they can win. So, hey. I I, I don't know, man. Have you seen that mana pick, bro? (laughs) Well, I mean, they were just lucky to still have a job. (laughs) Gene Haas is the kind of guy to stick it out and try things differently again yeah. and again until it works because he entered NASCAR in 2003 and then win a championship till 2011. Mm. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, yeah, people forget that, that for many, many years he was running guys like Mike Bliss and Jeff yeah. Green, mm-hmm. uh, your sort of middle-of-the-road journeyman. And it was when Tony Stewart came on board in 2009 that that team really took off. He brought all across Ryan Newman. Mm-hmm. He ended up bringing Danica Patrick in. And now they've got one of the strongest drive lineups in NASCAR between Kurt Busch, Tony Stewart, Kevin Harvick, and Danica Patrick. They're a yeah. serious threat. And as you said, it took them 12 years, but now they are an established force in NASCAR. So I think he's I think he's done this the smart way. He's certainly not rushing in. He's going in eyes wide open. So mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I think, I think we might be pleasantly surprised next year. But then again, that could be like Dre saying, oh, well, Jenny Gow's thing wasn't a popularity contest. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Next yeah. question. 
Next question, Len Morrison asks, the future of car manufacturers in motorsport given Jaguar are going for Formula E next year? Now, you may have heard the news two days ago, I think it was on, on Wednesday, we got the news that Jaguar are, are going to be entering season three of Formula E in 2016, and uh, very cool to have Jaguar come back as a racing team with Formula E. King, could this be the start of a trend? Uh... Okay, I'd say this is a two-part question. This is a, I'm going to give a two-part answer to this. Part one, number one, Formula E is very attractive to car manufacturers, mainly because it's cost-controlled. Yes. You know there's a, there's a price cap. You, you, can't, you can spend more than that, but another team could buy out your car for the cost-cap price. Mm-hmm. So the, the prices are under control. Number two, the world's going to be moving to electric cars eventually yes. because of the, the climate change conference in Paris. Uh, Britain's one of the countries that signed on to the agreement saying that they won't sell, they'll, they won't sell uh, internal combustion cars in the year 20, I think 2050. It's a long way to down the road, but <laughs> the car manufacturers have to think about this now. Yeah, well, exactly. I think to be honest with you, I think, it's going to be cyclical. I I think electric cars are going to be one of several different alternatives yes. going forward. I don't think I think it's unwise to pin our hopes all onto it because ten years ago we were all hyping up diesel as the great new thing that would be the alternative to petrol. But I mean, the the, the great thing is we're Formula E right now, as you said, King. It's it's cost controlled, but also it's the image. Electric cars are yes. now. It's, it's the, the future. Look at the hype around Tesla. Look at the hype around that sort of stuff. It's right there. It's motorsport proving that it can be environmentally conscious. It can be on point. And for road manufacturers looking for a return on their investment and looking for the best PR possible, it's a, it's a, it's a gold mine. So you can totally understand why Jaguar went in. It just makes me annoyed that they cancelled their CX-75 hybrid supercar. Yeah. Uh. That thing was a beast. <laughs> But yeah, there you go. I'm inclined to agree with what King's saying. The, the electric cars are the future, whether people want to admit it or not. That's how it's going to be. We've already seen on the highest level with the P1, the LaFerrari, the 918, etc. Other projects coming through Lamborghini have already announced they've got a hybrid car coming, and it's in production right now. It's the future. It's, 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 it's what it is, and a car company will always look better if they're on board with the, with the environment. That's always a good look. So, if, if that's a thing, Jaguar hopping on the wagon again, great. Let's just hope it's a bit more cost-effective than their F1 team was. Um, okay. <laughs> and finally, more of a personal question from Brad G. As I only have one question, what does everyone make of the community ruckus that I maybe started about a fortnight ago? And I'm like, oh, God. For those guys that are unaware, obviously... Including me. Including me and Johnson. Um, not so much Johnson because he's not a guy. not part of a little club, as me and King <laughs> would say. But um, a bunch of F1 Formula 1 YouTubers, basically, it's kind of created a bit of a, a divide now where a lot of smaller YouTubers went out of their way to protest that the bigger YouTubers don't give them enough of the bone. Um, and, you know, we don't collaborate or talk to smaller YouTubers, so therefore we bigger YouTubers are the enemy. And, and I just sat here in the corner. I can understand where they're coming from to a mm. degree. Well, I'm just sitting here in the corner, just counted all my 6,600 subscribers. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> no, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But in the sense of, I'm just sitting here thinking, these bigger YouTubers are not obligated to help yeah. you. It's like, do you see McDonald's promoting Sam's Chicken? No. No. Not. It, that's not how this works. It's not no. how any industry works. And people don't realize 
YouTube is is you know is a business. Yeah. For many for many many people, it is now a business. It is a viable alternative. So um, even if the ad revenue model, I still think is a, is a dying, if not already dead, thing because of ad block. Yeah. But in any in any circumstance, YouTube is is the future of broadcasting. It, it, yeah. it just it just is, and it's a business for so many people, and for and for many many people, it's made jobs, it's made careers, it's 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 a huge enterprise now, and people don't realize bigger YouTubers don't get anything by working with smaller. No. no one's gonna watch a video saying, "Oh, well, this guy with six subscribers is in my video, and I've got five thousand subs." Like, what's that gonna do? Like, what, what, what's in it for me if I do something like? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Go on, think, go on. Sorry. I, I mean, you, you know, I'm, I'm a YouTuber as well over at Team Bomber Sports. Please subscribe. Uh, we're nearing three thousand, so not quite as impressive as uh, Harrison One and One HD, uh, but still, we're doing at it. Um, I do stop motion videos with diecast cars. Basically, it's good fun. It's like imagine had Nick Park not had Play-Doh as a kid but he'd had Hot Wheels cars you wouldn't have Wallace and Gromit you'd have what sort of what I do but getting back to the point I think the bigger issue right now over on YouTube is that YouTube right now YouTube used to be the very it used to promote a sort of inclusive attitude it used to be the place where itself they would feature channels they wouldn't discriminate you know, no. you'd have the big channels, but they'd also feature up-and-comers, and that would help, you know, get them noticed and sort of build them up. Now, YouTube is sort of going, right, who are our money makers? Let's focus everything on them. Let's use all the money we get from YouTube Red to fund a new show for PewDiePie because he's our money maker, which yeah. you can entirely understand. It's an asset thing, but I think a lot of people are getting peeved because YouTube was built on this equality level. It was almost like broadcast communism in a way it kind of yeah. didn't discriminate like, you know you could have a million subscribers or 12 and if you made a good video they'd feature it on the front page you know but now it's like th- they're focusing on the already established to the detriment of those still coming up and i think these guys who are getting frustrated at the established youtubers it's almost like they're going well youtube aren't doing this anymore so it's up to you to do it now and i think that's a little bit flawed but you know it's a it's a bit of a difficult one but i mean even compared to the people like the big people in the f1 community they wouldn't even be considered established youtubers yeah exactly exactly there's you know there's only one pewdiepie you know yes yeah there's only one PewDiePie, but there's also now a bunch of channels that in that one to ten million subscriber range that yeah. are big enough in their own. Like YouTube are treating this like any expanding business would. They're gonna start focusing in on the on the retail chains that make the money yep. and start closing down the ones that they tried but ultimately didn't work. Yep. Like they're gonna they're gonna focus in on the stores that they know will make them the most money. And that's, and the, same, that's the same thing that's happening to YouTube. YouTube growth now is almost nearly impossible unless you've got a big network behind you yeah. that can increase your seo like that's just how it is like that's just how the game has changed and i know it's, it's annoying because i was a smaller youtuber once we all have been to a degree many people some some cases still are and maybe they always will be but at the same time what YouTube, yeah what youtube is, is yeah what youtube is doing is what any smart business owner would do, and, it, and you know, it's a shame that smaller YouTubers will, will never get the credit they they deserve. Because some of them are fantastic in their own right, and they deserve the they deserve the praise, they deserve all the plaudits they get. Oh, but thanks, Dre. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, 
But unfortunately, the reality of the situation is, if your name isn't Arava or Tiamat Marduk, you're not going to get ahead in the F1 community. It's just, it's just, that's just how it is. They have networks behind them that have yep. brilliant SEO optimization tools. That's how... I don't get interested. Ben didn't get to 100k because his videos were great. Ben got to 100k because he's got a really good network behind him that was able to grow his channel. Yep. Like, don't get it twisted. His videos didn't suddenly start being amazing. <laughs> like, so it's... it's, it's <laughs> Everyone has it's, yeah, like 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 networks are the main reason these channels are getting so big. And mm. like I said, these YouTubers don't owe you anything. Sir Alan Shuka no. doesn't owe me anything because I watch The Apprentice every once in a while. That's 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 not how the world works. No. I'm sorry. As much as, as much as as harsh as it sounds, as much as I might come across as being a dick to smaller YouTubers, it's not. Like if you want to, like, don't hate the player, hate the game. Exactly. That's just how it is. Oh, like, um, you know. Sorry, continue. Finish your point. Yeah, I'm saying is that it's just it's 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 unfortunate that many guys lose out, but that's just the life and times of business. There will yeah. always be losers because if there isn't losers, there's not any winners. And the people that win, more power to them. But yeah. YouTube is not fair. It never has been fair because judging videos is always you, you can't judge things on quality. You just can't because it's, it's such a subjective thing like yeah. you, you value quantity and that's and that's what it is unfortunately yeah and i i find at this point that you've almost got to treat uh youtube as a sort of uh i don't know quite how to explain it but like back in the day you'd upload youtube videos for a hobby and you'd you'd grow from there and, and people would find you and people you know you'd be featured on the front page and things would go from there you'd end up collabing with people around the same size as you and that would grow your channel blah 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 but now it's almost like you can't rely on YouTube exclusively to grow your YouTube channel. You've got to nail the social media aspect. You've got to treat it as an overall brand. And I mean, yeah. look at how many people who are fairly major YouTubers, guys like NerdCube, guys like Boogie2988, they are, as soon as YouTube Red came in, they started up Patreon campaigns. They were like, look, you know, you don't want to pay 10 quid a month or whatever it is for YouTube Red. Here's a way you can support me directly and you know where it's going. These guys are fairly majorly established and even they are going, you know what? We can't rely on YouTube. We've got to have alternative revenue streams. We've got to have alternative ways of putting content out there. You know, we've got to... Like, YouTube is one part of many elements. You can't grow your entire thing on there anymore. And a lot of these guys are using YouTube now as a launching platform because for them... It just isn't sustainable. Like, NerdCube's putting together a game studio now. He's about to release his first major video game. You've got other guys who have branched off into other stuff. I mean, even PewDiePie now is making legit TV shows uh, out of it. So, and yeah. one of the most technical you things... Huh? Look, at, look at it. Sorry, sorry, can't even look at this way. How many major YouTubers now have Patreon pages? Exactly. Be exactly. Because, of, because of the prospect of guaranteed money, because we know the YouTube ad market is dead. Oh, yeah, it really is. It has <laughs> tanked. Or, or, or taking yeah, it, it's like, basically living off of red now. Yeah. yeah, it basically is, and they've you know the, the thing is, I mean, what what was kind of telling about it? This is the world we live in now. I was in, I think it was Waterstones the other day, the bookstore, and there was an actually a category, admittedly not a big part of the bookshelves, but there was a section. And it was called bloggers, and in there were books by Zoella, Pudes, uh, Dan and Phil. Um, trying to think of some of the others but it, it kind of spoke to me i was like wow they've broken the mainstream and youtube knows this so they're going to focus in on the money makers and at this point probably what will be the best thing to happen 
is if there was another video site that sort of becomes like what YouTube was five years ago. But the problem is no one has that sort of ad revenue thing again. They can't really... That's why there hasn't been a mass defection off to Vimeo or Dailymotion or something. It just well, never... that's debatable. Look at Twitch. Well, uh, uh, Twitch. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very good point. People moving over to the stream area. How many people live stream declinations off that now these days? You know, but the thing is, the problem with Twitch is it's only gaming, and that's as much as everyone says gaming is huge. It's a huge market. I I have to admit that it is a big market. It's not the it's majority a market. That's market. Easy to get lost in. Yeah. But it's... think of all think of all the Bob Rossery runs we can sit through. <laughs> Vimeo, you have to pay to be on. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So that's uh, a dead end. Jeez, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's, and so, like yeah, the no. only other viable option is Daily Motion, which is mostly all pirated stuff anyway. But that's all. Yeah, because they don't give a shit about yeah. Copyright. It's kind of the total opposite to Content ID. That was almost too strict and kind of stupid. But Daily Motion is like we're just not even going to try. Yeah. It's like, it's like find, we're French, we don't care. It's like yeah. I can find, I can find all those boob scenes from Game of Thrones. Completely <laughs> having to worry about copyright. <laughs> and on there that note, and on that note, I'm going to wrap this up right here because we've been rambling on for way too long as it is already. But um, just before we go, one more time, Adam, where can we find you? <laughs> Uh, you can find me appropriately. We've just been talking about YouTube. You can find me over on my YouTube channel, which is Team Bomber Sports. Um, I do, as I say mostly motorsport fun stuff kind of thing you know like stop motion animation races i pride myself on you know if you've thought that the nascar season was kind of boring hey i'll make you an entertaining race because i kind of control who wins um which is (laughs) good fun uh but yeah you can hit me up over there you can find me on mostly on twitter and instagram because facebook's just yeah i don't it's mostly just memes about lol my life sucks um (laughs) picture of minion so uh, I'm on Instagram uh, at Adam underscore Bomber Sports and on Twitter because they have slightly less of a character limit for their usernames. I'm AJ underscore Bomber Sports. So I'll see you over there. Yeah. And Mr. King, as always. Yep. Uh, you can get me at uh, formulae.nyc. But I have to admit, we're going to go under a rebrand soon so that's probably going to change oh, cool. <laughs> yeah okay. and i'm working on a big history project at the moment right now i'm working on a script i'm about like five thousand words i don't know how long it's going to be but oh, it's definitely nice. going to be like a lot of video content so yep that, that should be yeah, fun exclusive and of, course, <laughs> and of course you're probably listening to this already on harrison101.com but of course you can find me on youtube at harrison101hd uh, on Facebook, forward slash Harrison101HD, and on Twitter, at, surprise, surprise, Harrison101HD. We'll be back. I honestly don't know. If you guys really, really want us back regularly, we'll see what happens. Because we do have a Formula E race this weekend that is that could probably be worth talking about in Uruguay, printed the last day. That should, that should be great, given how great Season 1's race was there. Uh, hopefully Nick Heimfeld will cause about four safety cars again. But um, in the meantime, I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Adam Johnson and Ryan King. And until next time, thank you very much for watching, or in this case, listening. And I'll catch you guys next time. Bye, Bye.